Welcome back to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Matthew Fairburn, also of The Athletic, and Jonah Bronstein of Smiles Incorporated. <laughs> the Smiles Gallery. Yes, the Smiles Gallery, which you don't see at the Buffalo News anymore. I don't know if that's because of the the uh, the change in the nobody's nobody's well that's true there's no events yeah, nobody's smiling in 2020 <laughs> <laughs> no events I okay my my first thought was more professionally because they changed the format of the uh, the website there because of Lee Enterprises now everything is you know homogenized within their um, within their company that maybe you know the gallery where you anyways you're right there are no events no, I, I actually know this <laughs> I've asked about this because. My friend Ben Sujimoto, who writes about soccer and food and some other things, he's also the Smiles editor. I like to make fun of him. I didn't him, know that. Him that. And I think I said it in jest against him in like a fantasy basketball chat. And he said, well, there is no more Smiles because there's no events. So it's not something we're doing anymore. And so he's had other duties assigned, I believe, because there's no more smiling to take pictures of. Well, Ben's a good dude. I like Ben. I didn't know that that was his job. I'll have to uh, check in on him. And I like the smiles galleries, looking for people you know and fishing through that, or if you're at an event, kind of reliving that. Immensely popular. The the clicks that they get are incredible. Uh, Not guild work, though. Um, Hashtag not guild work. Uh, What's so funny, Matt? I just, the, the smiles gallery is always like, it's like a sport when you go to an event trying to avoid it, That or at least for me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Jesus, there's that guy from the, the smiles and you oh, dodge. <laughs> that's for dodge sure. Around. I'll just tell them. I'll be like, hey, I work for the news. I know who you are and I don't want to be in any of these. Right. Try to look at me like, okay, weirdo. But right. they follow your direction. He, uh, I was freshly at the athletic one time. I, it was at Eric Woods uh, fundraiser. Uh, down at Big Ditch, and uh, I was, uh, I don't know, so I'd been at The Athletic for two or three months, and I was standing there with Kyle Williams, uh, and uh, he came up to me, the photographer did, and he says, Tim, get in there with Kyle, and I was like, no, no, I don't even work for the news anymore, and he was like, ha, yeah, yeah, right, and he, he, didn't, he didn't know that I didn't work for the news anymore, so I stood there, and I thought, it was, I think it was like the first or second photo in the, in the batch is uh, the competition standing there with Kyle Williams. Uh, at an event that the Buffalo News wasn't at. <laughs> well, you're a member of the community, willing to smile on camera. That's right. Um, hey, uh, Friday the 13th, uh, do you guys uh, have any superstitions? I don't know this about, I know you guys pretty well, but I don't I don't think you guys are superstitious guys, but, may, but let's learn something about each other here. Uh, superstitions? Yes? We definitely no? don't have Friday the 13th superstitions. That's not one I've ever thought about before. Not me. I'm not, I'm not a particularly uh, superstitious person, but um, I always, I, I enjoy Friday the 13th when it pops up. I used to wear number 13 uh, growing up in baseball. So uh, passed down from my old man. So I'm not afraid of the number 13. I always found it interesting, especially as somebody uh, having lived in Las Vegas, because I do check this quite a bit, uh, the uh, hotels that don't have a, a 13th floor. Because people are superstitious. Check the, uh, when you get into an elevator, um, maybe not so much at like the chains and stuff because they kind of ignore it. Um, but if, especially if you're in a place like a vacation or a resort type area, there will be no 13th floor. It'll skip right over it. I've never, nobody never wants noticed. to stay on the 13th floor. So they just label it. So the 13th is really 14. 
or I should say the 14th floor is really actually the 13th floor of the building. Um, but <laughs> I don't know if this is legend or if the, how true this is, but, uh, you know, the whole concept you'd hear of somebody who was trying to do some death defying stunt and, uh, calculated the building and, uh, you know, tried to do a bungee something or other and, uh, didn't calculate that there was no 13th floor, that the building was, you know, 15 feet shorter than, than it really was because they skipped the 13th floor. What uh, if there was no 13th floor and then you talked to people that built the building and it was like, well, we built the 13th floor. What happened to it? It's just not labeled. It's there, it's but it's not labeled. What happens on that floor? Save money. Uh, yeah, let's just remove a 13th floor. That sounds like something that would be done. Yeah, developing a building uh, skyscraper or something and say, oh, we, we had some cost, cost overruns. Let's just remove the 13th floor. Um, like no, Jenga. probably not. Uh, I was a superstitious guy quite a bit uh, throughout uh, my life until I started playing poker and really got into studying poker. And it, it just dawned on me in researching because I've never been a mathematically minded person, uh, and which is, I think, common for people in our trade. You're, I think you're generally word-oriented or number-oriented, using very general terms. And uh, so math makes me uncomfortable, or it puts me out of my comfort zone. And when I would play poker, I play, there's two different types of poker players. There's the, you know, the mathematical guy and the feel guy. And you talk, you know, there's different guys who do it well. It's not like one's better than the other. It's just a different approach. But I was trying to learn the mathematical aspect of it. And throughout all that, uh, the, the idea, it, I think it just beat the superstition out of me when I was, or the fact that, no, that, um, that all this other stuff matters, that the math really is the, is what counts. I was fairly superstitious when I played sports. Um, I had to hit the goalposts a certain amount of times when I was in net, I had to do things the exact same way. put my, but that was more mental than I think it wasn't like I was, uh, I guess it's half superstition, half routine, right? Like you do things a certain way so that you don't, so that you just feel a little bit more locked in. I don't think it was like, Oh man, if I don't skate over there, I'm going to, you know, let in, let in five goals tonight. It was like, well, if I don't skate over there, I'm going to be thinking about it. So I should go skate over there and tap the post this many times and do things like that. But a mental checklist to make sure you didn't forget something. Right. Just to Almost. be, yeah, just to OCD. repeat and yeah, get calm myself down a little bit, give myself something to do. There's a lot of standing around when you're playing goalie you gotta, you gotta keep yourself busy. Jonah, no superstitions for you. Yeah, No. Jews don't believe in superstition. It's not in the Old Testament. No, I don't have sure a feeling a lot. <laughs> There's not a single superstition that I would say I've ever like subscribed to myself. But it's funny how that works. Like if somebody else said they believe in superstition, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's you know, superstitions are a real thing. But myself, no, I don't really do any of that. I'm I'm trying to I would write a story the... about some athletes' superstitions and not be too cynical about it. But myself, I've never subscribed to anything like that. I don't think I do any on the golf course other than, I mean, there's no amount of good karma or luck that I could give myself that would help me. So I just, I, I figure I'm a lost cause. I don't really get very uh, 
I have, I guess, little things, but I've changed my putter grip nine times in the span of a round. So I would say much less routine oriented there than I used to be in, in other sports. Got to be a lot of new superstitions with these uh, Buffalo Bills. So you can imagine what Bills fans have been doing for 17 years and no playoffs. And then all of a sudden this new fun team has emerged this year because even the last couple of years uh, with the Bills going to the playoffs twice in Sean McDermott's first three years, they did it in a, well, I guess the way they pulled it out of their backsides in in 2017 uh, would uh, 2017. Yeah. 2017. Um create all kinds of new superstitions among a, a generation of Bills fans who were looking to break through. Maybe Bills fans will never go to games ever again if this is how things continue. It's just, it's too good of luck. It's like my my barber this week, she was like asking me, she's like, do you think we've just been putting too much pressure on them all these years? Like, we should, <laughs> like maybe we should just stay away. They, they seem to enjoy us not being there. I'm like, yeah, that's a, an interesting thought. What a kick in the nuts that would be for Bills fans in general, right? Uh, ev- with all the commitment and energy put into being the best fans in the world or, you know, everything, the, the, the image that they've liked to cultivate for themselves, both positive and negative. I mean, in a good way, like we see with all the donations with, to Josh Allen's grandmother uh, in her name uh, to Oshai Children's Hospital and all the Bills Mafia donation and uh, philanthropy on one side, and then the meatheads on the other who have really tried to own that space. Sometimes uh, one and the same. And then <laughs> they probably true, hit some donation. It, and then there is a Venn diagram that includes <laughs> both. You're right. And let's not say that they're they're uh, they're exclusive of each other, um, but to have everything put in there, and then to get to a point where. So, the cosmos uh, speak and say the only way the bills were ever going to be any good is if you left them alone. Just stay away. Leave <laughs> us stay, alone. Yep. And, and uh, yeah, well, what kind of a proposition would that be? If you say, if, um, if the football God, if, uh, if Mike Rodak's all-time favorite football god, Newt Rockney, were to come down from the heavens and say, Buffalo Bills fans, your team will win as many consecutive Super Bowl championships as you are unable to attend games. I mean, from now until eternity, you are not allowed to attend any games or tailgate. Nothing around, uh, but your team will just win every Super Bowl. Um, I wonder what the uh, what percentage what the vote would be for that. I wonder it if sounds we, like something Mike Rodak would text us as a troll of Bills fans, not necessarily what God <laughs> would decree. But you know, it would be a tough pill, I think, for the Bills fans to swallow because there's so, maybe this is true of all fans, but the Bills fans are so wrapped up in believing that their fandom has something to do with the Bills' success, especially in comebacks and circling the wagons and things like that. And to find out that it's sort of like, hey, you know, maybe we don't need you. Why don't you stay away for a little longer? Would I think be crushing to people that don't even go to Bills games? They, you know, feel like they've been rejected, that their role is not proper. But I guess they'd be so happy that the team was good that maybe they wouldn't care at all. 
I think on an individual level, if you asked like one random Bills fan, like, hey, you can't go to games anymore and you can't tailgate, but they're going to win X number of Super Bowls in a row. That one person would probably do it. But if it was legitimately stadium has to be empty, nobody can tailgate, uh, can't go to games at all. I'm sure people would sign up for it. Um, why not? You know, the team would be winning. But I, I feel like so much of what makes sports fun is and worthwhile, probably more importantly, is being there, the environment, the you know, community aspect and everything like that. It's part of what has made some of these championships um, playoffs that we've seen feel a little bit hollow. Um, you know, those games that were played in bubbles uh, still were entertaining to watch, but I, I felt like, you know, probably a little bit, um, a little bit hollow for that fan base to be like, you know, you're already, I'm sure you have these existential moments or maybe it's just me where it's like, you're watching a sports game and you're like, well, what does it even matter? Um, but I feel like that's intensified if you're not there and you're not like enjoying the moment, jumping around. How many people do we know that we've talked with just in conversation that are, have committed themselves to being at the Super Bowl whenever the Bills make it? Uh, seems like every sure. other Bills fan we run into, um, you know, where that conversation comes up, you know, people are like, oh, when they go, I'm there. And so if you don't get that, I don't know. I feel like that's the if, point of sports. What if the Bills win the Super Bowl and they can't have a parade? I think they would have one anyways, but if it was not allowed to – People would do it anyway. Yeah, people would. It'll, yeah, it'll, it, it would happen. Uh, we're a few steps away from that, from getting there. But we, I mean, to this point, we have, I would say that. We're talking about this, talking about this on Friday the 13th. There are people who have clicked off this, this podcast because we are <laughs> daring to talk about it. I mean, speaking the, of superstition. Yeah, I, I, the Bills were clearly going to win that game in the third quarter on Sunday. I sent out and I did it as it was a troll uh, because I know there are people who do it. I, t I tweeted out. I said, chalk it up. And I got immediate delete this tweet, uh, you know, get, you know, like you, you asshole. You know, it's just like, so, hey, sorry, guys. I mean, this game's over. I'm calling I'm calling it. I'm calling Arizona. Uh, and um, that was it. This week I wrote about the Bills, uh, you know, who they would match up best with in the playoffs and broke down all the scenarios of where they could land and um, what needs to happen over the next few weeks to for them to best position themselves under the premise of, hey, they're going to make the playoffs. And there were some uneasy folks uh, like, hey, uh, it's only November. It's only nine games. Let's slow down. It's like, no, they're going to make the playoffs. Um, and but yeah, people are still not ready to uh, to believe those things. Go into games and believe the Bills are going to win, or oh, the Bills are up seventeen, but the Seahawks, you know, they're they're comeback artists. Uh, people people still have their guard up. I think these Bills are slowly breaking it down, but it's uh, it's definitely definitely still there. Well, I'm disappointed we don't have any more uh, superstitions among the three of us. I, I thought that would be a good topic to get into but I guess we're all just three pragmatic fellas. This is where we miss Bobby because Bobby would be telling us how he believes in all the superstitions and then we could gang up on him about how stupid <laughs> that is. It's tough when we're all like we don't believe in fairy ghosts and stuff like that. Right. 
Uh, We're all just nihilists. We don't. Do we have think Rodak was is Rodak a superstition guy? You know who'd be a big superstition guy? Um, I can almost guarantee it is Lakata. Yeah, a lot of probably. I would say more athletes are superstitious than the general population. Probably, it's. A very, I don't know why, but Joe Lakata's yeah. just got. He's that. He and there's and, and with a fun a splash of funness to it. I think that he would he would he would have some superstitions because it it made him happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like kind of like what I'm talking about. Like you do little things to like put you in your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Rodak probably doesn't have superstitions, but definitely has OCD. OCD, like big time. He's like the neatest yeah. person I know. I'm gonna text Lakata right now and see what uh, superstitions he has. Yeah. I mean, we all going? we yeah. all had a superstition. The old radio show going to elmo's on wednesday night that, that's a superstition yeah. right <laughs> no that's a drinking problem <laughs> yeah no that's uh my liver had a, that's a routine. Uh, my liver had a superstition about uh <laughs> going too long without it having to process some um yeah and how about that the, you know with the rules coming back you know, being uh dialed back uh places like elmo's are going to be uh hurting even more um but i do miss we my can only go at 10 a.m 10 a.m. to noon. <laughs> I don't think they made much after 10 p.m. anyways, if you think about it. Elmo's? <laughs> oh, depends. <laughs> it depends. Whenever the kitchen closes, I feel like uh, they're, uh, they weren't making a huge profit off of us. Uh, Joe Licata says he is fried. There's nothing I don't do that's superstitious. I have to think about that dub- double negative. He is saying that everything is a superstition, and he's uh, um, he's a um, he's mentally incapacitated because of it. Is what he's saying. That sounds about right. That's why he was a Division One quarterback. It's and- a funny thing too. I would say as much as I don't believe in superstitions for myself, it seems more fun to follow these things and talk about them and say, yeah, I do this every time than it is to be like, no, that's stupid. Don't believe in it. Or There's the famous quote from the uh, race car driver. Maybe you guys know it. Uh, he was asked if he had any superstitions and he said, no, no, I don't have any superstitions. That's bad luck. <laughs> I'd like to ask Gene Kirshner if horses have superstitions, superstitious horses. <laughs> you know there's a difference between but there's crossover with like superstitions rituals routines uh traditions it's all kind of in the same bucket sure yeah you're right there's a thin line between tradition and superstition um religion um you know we have uh oh geez oh this is a very long text from joe Licata. um <laughs> But yeah, uh, things like, for instance, um, I, I would wear the same shirt on game day. I got it. There was a shirt. I was wearing it yesterday. In fact, I thought I thought of you, Matt. The Wofford shirt? <laughs> My Wofford shirt from training camp last year because it's so comfortable. And it's not because it's really, it's not superstition. Like I'm going to write better because of it. It's because... It's a shirt that is so comfortable when I come down to when it's time for me to write, and especially on deadline, 
different little things get into my head as a distraction or something I need to correct. I can't start writing until I fix this MF and thing keeps digging into my armpit or I got, uh, this is not comfortable or this shirt or whatever. And I have a handful of shirts. And so then it became a running joke that I had the Wofford shirt on. So it was, so anyways, but I guess that became a tradition. I bring a gift uh, for, uh, for my teammates on, uh, on game day, home game days. Um, I have some right here. I bring, uh, I, what I do is um, uh, whenever I go to the card shop, whenever I, my son and I go to the card shop, who we got, oh, former Bills quarterback, Ryan Nassib. Um, I go through, there's like a, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all for jokes. And uh, I'll go through, is there a Michael Sam in there? I think. Yeah, he's, um, he's over here somewhere. I was actually Googling that. Oh, here he is. So my son, Jack and I will go through the, the box of, they're like the throwaway special cards. They're signed or they have a Jersey patch or something. And there's supposed to be a big find if you're buying a pack of cards. Uh, Bishop Sankey. Absolutely. Eric Gagne is um, in here somewhere. That's my, that is my lucky one. Gagne. Right? Well, see, that's true. You did have that. Uh, see, now we're digging out some I superstitions. Matt had told the, the tradition started one day, uh, Matt, we were talking about baseball, which we like to do. We were having beers on the road and we, it came up that Eric Gagne was one of Matt's favorite players. And uh, so I'm at a card show with my son, which we like to go to. And there was an Eric Gagne assigned card and it was really super cheap. And um, so I'm like, I got to get that for Matt. Uh, just as like a, Hey, I remember that conversation. I, I'm, you know, I, I value you as a teammate and uh, I, I like you and stuff. And so, and then I'm like, and this is my mother's guilt coming in, uh, I guess, you know, like I can't get Matt something and not Joe something. So I got Joe. I can't remember what it was, but it was something just. It might've been Ryan Nassib, a different Ryan Nassib. Here's Eric Gagne. There's Eric Gagne, the closer. He's in my, it's always in my bag. Um, but I haven't really used my laptop bag very much because I don't really go anywhere. Um, but it used to always be in the fourth quarter. I'd pull it out when the fourth quarter started or not always right when the fourth quarter started, but maybe like when it was like, all right, five minutes left or whatever. And it was like, all right, let's close this one out boys. Like pull it out, right. put it there. Thank God I never forgot it. But to make each other laugh, but maybe that is a superstition in and of itself. That's the thin line between what is a superstition and what is not. I still have a box. I have a box on my dresser of cards ready to give out. There's no home games this year. So, um, well, there are home games, but only two of us can be there at a time. So it's like, right. And I don't go down and give Jonah anything because then I got to give Waro something. Well, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to hurt Waro's feelings. So I just, I I give, uh, give, what's that? I said, I'm okay. No, no. Without the baseball card. You're my guy. You're my guy, Jonah. I have a long, I have a growing pile of these uh, cards. Um, some of which uh, I don't know. I don't know what the rhyme or reason is, like Bishop Sankey, but uh, I do like Bishop Sankey. He was a good. He was a good ball player for a while. Uh, so most of the cards I give, there is a reason to it, and it's not necessarily personal. It could be something in the news. I want to say. And uh, uh, Joe Burrow had a big week 
uh, and he became a big thing last, last, you know, obviously everybody knew Joe Burrow was going to be a good quarterback, but he had kind of a, a performance uh, in a particular game last season that set him up as, all right, now this guy is really the Heisman favorite. So I think I brought a Zach Mettenberger in for, for Joe Biscalia that, that Sunday, you know, if we were on LSU quarterbacks, uh, you know, stuff like that. Uh, old, you know, not old, but um, there's some basketball sets where you get some Euro, some guy from Greece who's never going to sniff the NBA. In fact, he's, his draft year was probably nine years ago, and it's a signed card of some guy playing for Juventus. Um, and so I'll, I'll find that, and it cost me you know, a dollar or whatever, and you know, like, hey, here's your big, here's your, 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 uh, your home gift. Um, so Joe, uh, so Joe Licata says, uh, it's several, several texts. (laughs) When I was playing, he wore a Billy's shirt under his Jersey. He would spray the Jersey with MJ Cologne. This is his fetish with Michael Jordan. He watched, remember the Titans before every game. He wouldn't let anyone touch the game ball prior to the game. And then coaching, he puts a pic- picture of his grandfather on the call sheet. That's not superstition. I, well, maybe it. I mean, I, that's it. If he says it's superstition, it's superstition. I think that's that's kind of sweet. There's some, yeah, sentiment. Grounded. Yeah. Um, uh, and he, oh, his dad had a quote that he used to give him when he played basketball before every game. He used to say. Uh, Shoot to get hot, shoot to stay hot. Um, and so he puts that on his uh, call sheet also. Uh, he steps with his right foot onto the field, always first. Um, this is getting a little out of control. Has to find <laughs> where his family is sitting. How does he keep it all straight? Yeah. He always coaches in a visor, uh, shaves on the same day of the week. Same day of the week. I mean, I'm in living at home. I shave twice a week. I mean, Joe Licata's a grown man. You'd think he'd have to shave more than once a week. Oh, he has a beard, doesn't he? He probably just trims. Yeah, you're right. Okay. That's a lot of superstitions. Did you step on the foul line when you played? He's stopping. Baseball? I mean, he, he's also stopping on that. Well, no, but not because it's superstition. I, I know that that's a big superstition for baseball players, stepping over the chalk. For me, I just didn't want to mess up the chalk. Same. Yeah, that's – Or I feel get like it on of, my shoes. Yeah, I feel like a lot of stuff comes back to that is like more OCD. It's kind of like respect for the guy who, who did the line and carefully, you know, took the time to do that line. And if I'm just going to go walking over it, you know. I feel like it's all less – for me, it was always less about luck and more about like – Keeping my sanity, which is never easy. Being like, oh, I stepped on the line, and then I'm like bothered by the fact that the line is screwed up for the next five minutes instead of just focusing on what I need to focus on. Well, how about this, Jonah? Free throws when you were playing. Um, I mean, there's a lot of superstition that goes into a free throw routine. How much of that is just getting, you know, making sure you're set before the free throw versus all the the mental gymnastics of the, this entire gym is watching me shoot this ball. Well, a free throw routine is important, but I don't think it has to do with superstition as much as it's you want that shot 
to be the same every time and your pre-shot routine helps to do that. Me personally, when I play in men's leagues, I do this for two reasons. I used to do this in practice all the time. I shoot the free throw as fast as I can. Maybe not as fast as I can, but without a routine because it feels more like a regular rhythm catch and shoot shot. And I hate when people in men's leagues game with a running clock, take 20 minutes with a free throw routine. I think it's ridiculous. So I'm a little, I don't know if that's a superstition that I don't want to waste time at the free throw line in these games. Like an anti-superstition. Well, we're in a men's league and people are like doing their arm swipe routine and the clock's running or they're like, Oh, time out. Like I'm in the batter's back. It's like, Jesus. That's probably Lakata in his men's league. Right. Yeah. Lakata <laughs> would do something like that. It'd be like, Hey, I got to check the game ball before we start. Well, people do that. I guess that, that's not a superstition either. Cause some people like different balls. <laughs> some people like, you know, them deflated or inflated in different ways. I don't, that's more of a feel and preference for playing the game. See, that's another time where we could use Bobby to cut that one up. How about Calvin Murphy? Or yeah, right. uh, who was the who was going for the free throw record? And Calvin Murphy grabbed the ball. Yeah, I think that was Bobby Abdul Rauf. I believe was the player, and Calvin Murphy like came out of the stands and rubbed the ball, and then he missed the shot. Yes, and which you know him. why somebody from the stands was allowed to come in, and the ref just gave him the ball. I mean, obviously it was Calvin Murphy, and ha ha ha, and but still, I mean, you know, just some you know. Yeah, we're just going to just throw the ball to this guy <laughs> and uh, let him let him do it. Then he can give it whatever. Maybe Chris Jackson would have made that shot. Maybe he would have. One of my all-time favorite basketball players, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. I think we talked about it on the show. How about that team not winning a national championship? You have Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, Chris Jackson at the time, and Shaquille O'Neal on the same team. The great the, – And Stanley Roberts. Oh, right. So perhaps you could, you could probably debate the greatest center or more, most dominant force at center in basketball history and one of the all-time great and underrated um, three-point slash free-throw shooters or just pure shooters. But ahead of his time, you didn't really let long-range shooters, and especially your point guard, shoot as many threes as guys can do now. And I think Shaq was a freshman on that team. That might have been a little bit of a factor on why that team didn't win. But Dale and Dale Brown was a good coach. I mean, it wasn't like they had uh, somebody who was totally inept. Uh, but still, you'd think. Isn't there, isn't there a movie about that team? Uh, Blue Chips, which I don't know if it's about that team, but that's a good movie. But and I Shaq's think there's a 30 it, right? for 30 or an yeah, SEC documentary about that. But the, it's not like about that team, but it's like sort of loosely related, no? Blue Chips, or am I making that up? It, loosely well, related. The character, the character that Nick Nolte plays is is a Bob Knight mm-hmm. character, or at least in personality, because you know the, he's a, he's running a dirty program, and Bob Knight, for all his flaws, was never known for he always was known for running a clean program. Uh, but uh, so it's like a mashing together of different college basketball, all things. the college basketball like stereotypes. And my favorite uh, part of the movie is at the end when Ed O'Neill, uh, Al Bundy uh, from Married with Children, is the reporter. And he's been unearthing all of this great investigative stuff on on these uh, recruiting violations. And he chooses a post-game uh, news conference 
to uh, pretty much give his scoop to the world. Uh, and so the coach then has to, you know, walk off, you know, knowing that he's been, he's been got by the local press, uh, by this uh, snarling uh, reporter who has not approached the SID or anybody. He's just going to go ahead and, and ask his questions right there in front of everyone. Power and, move. Yeah. Give up, give up his scoop. <laughs> but anyways. I like it. Would undercut the drama if he just quietly, uh, you know, filed his story at 10 o'clock. Yeah, it's not very good for a movie if he calls the SID, they talk for like two hours, they come to some sort of understanding. He files the story at 10 o'clock, waits four hours for it to be edited. It's way more fun if he's just like, yeah, just going to ask this guy about it in front of everybody. Yeah, it's good for the movie. It's a good movie. I, one, I, one of the better basketball movies, I think, of all time. I uh, wouldn't and, say it's the best. Anthony Hardaway right? is, is it Hardaway? Hardaway's in yeah, it, right? He's in that. He's really good in it, too. He's a good actor. Well, the idea, well, uh, well yeah, I don't know. Is he that good of an actor? But the. I, the, rem- I, I remember in the movie him, me thinking, I, I'm not, that he's not a basket. He wasn't like Matt, was it Matt Nover? Was he the, yeah. the big, the white, the Hastings? Like Matt My cousin's a, in that movie, actually. Really? Uh, because, the, yeah, he used, uh, he played at Indiana. Um, and there are, they play, he was on the other, you know, there's a Greg Graham, Pat Graham's my cousin and like Calbert Chaney and all those Indiana seniors who weren't, cause you had, you had to be somewhere in your eligibility to be able to do that movie. Hmm. And he was a grad, he was graduating or whatever it was. But anyway, so I, yeah, I watched that movie pretty closely. Saw it in the theater and the whole thing. What do you guys think about this? Somebody just told me there's no way I could kick a cantaloupe without busting my foot. I would agree. A cantaloupe. Somebody asked me in the mailbag what fruit I think I could kick the farthest. And I chose a cantaloupe. Let's try it out. He said there's no way. Vogel was consulting me on this because he saw the question and was, I thought a coconut at first, but he thought that was too hard. So I chose a cantaloupe. Cantaloupe's not that hard. We have to try this out. What are you using? Are you are you just a? Is it a bare foot? Are you allowed to use a? Well, everybody seems to think I'm kicking with my bare foot. Why would I do Timberlands? that? Timberlands. Oh, I don't know. Just a regular shoe. I'm not going to kick it with my toe. Maybe just, you should. Well, maybe I should. This is a big unknown. Maybe you should just do it on the webcam, and we can see what happens. <laughs> I'll have to run to the produce section. Cantaloupe. Cantaloupes are hard, though. I feel like if you kicked it, maybe if you wore a sturdy enough shoe, you protect yourself. But with a regular sneaker, I don't know if you break your foot, but I feel like you'd feel pain from the cantaloupe. You know who you need to check with <laughs> is uh, Josh Allen. That's his right. family grows cantaloupes. That's his family's trade is uh, in Fireball, California, is growing cantaloupes. I'm sure he's kicked a lot of cantaloupes. He would know. He'd probably be able to give you a uh, scouting report on how to handle it. Gallagher could probably rank them one through 25 for you with specifics or Gallagher too. Uh, you know, there are a bunch of different Gallagher's because <laughs> they, they were franchised. Yeah, so that way they could do more shows. There were, there were multiple Gallagher's. Really? We've gone on way too long. We haven't even talked sports. Yeah, this whole show has been about smiling and superstitions and now kicking cantaloupe. Bullshit. It's been about bullshit. 
Yeah, good luck writing the tagline for this. And maybe I won't. Uh, maybe you should hey, just edit the whole thing out. <laughs> yeah, start over. Hey guys, I forgot to hit the record button. <laughs> but you know who uh, you know who loves this stuff is uh, CTBK. Uh, CTBK. Shampoo Travis Besaw and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants, a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. Shampoo Travis Bison Kirshner, that's CTBK. Over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. They sponsor this mess. God bless them. Now I've been challenged. Now I have to try to kick a cantaloupe. Now, how many of these fruits are you going to kick? And I do think you're going to break your foot kicking every fruit in the supermarket one after the other. I'm not going to kick a coconut. I'm not going to kick a coconut because Vogel Vogel convinced me that that wouldn't work. But a cantaloupe's not that heavy. And you you can't have something so soft that it's going to break when you kick it because then it won't go very far. How about this? Are you how are you kicking it? Are you putting it on the ground and then kicking it like a like a kickoff? Or are you? Punting? I decided I decided I would punt it because I make the rules. I think a punt would help you because it gives you a little bit more of a clubbing motion to smash it, as opposed to trying to kick it soccer style. See, Vogel said a pair, but. I feel like I would miss it. It's too small. Yeah. I think we should get Jake Shum, lives in Hamburg, former oh, NFL player, loves to make videos online. He's kind of good at that kind of you know, viral video type thing. We should get him to kick all these fruits and see which ones explode, which ones go far. And his well, this guy would like to – Expert opinion. He would like to play in the NFL this year. And had Jake Shum been with the Tennessee Titans last night, the Titans probably win the game – because Titans uh, had uh, one punt go 17 yards uh, with well, no, Brett, Brett Kern. Kern. Yeah, Brett Kern is injured, so he was replaced. Uh, had a 17-yard punt that set up an easy field goal, and then one that was blocked for a touchdown. And Goskowski missed uh, a field goal also. Who knows if that might have been the holder. That could have been the punter's fault. Who knows? Brett's the holder. And So that makes Brett Kern midway candidate for MVP? Right. He's, You're right. He's in the conversation. So Jake Shum could have filled in for his Western New York colleague last night, helped uh, the Titans win a ball game. And now uh, we're wondering if he's going to help Matt Fairburn <laughs> kick fruit. Well, well, Jonah, do you think you could arrange this? You think you could help I arrange could this? Jake Shum on the phone. I don't know if he's going to say yes to any of this, but I could pitch it to him. I'm sure. Let's I do it. I'll, I'll film it. All right. I'll uh, send out some feelers to, no, the one thing that Matt's going to have to do is get all this fruit. I don't know exactly where we're getting all the fruit from. If there's I, a local farm we're going to partner with. Get it from, you know, like Zittles or whatever there uh, off the, how does that pronounce? Zittles, Zittles, that place, that little, isn't that a farmer's market? 
I'll go to I Niagara so. Produce. Up, I'll go up Millersport Highway. I'll go to Niagara Produce. I'll pick up whatever you guys need. And uh, we'll do this. Um, it's by week. You know, we can, we can do it uh, early next week. Where's Jake Shum? Where's, where's he? I think he lives in Hamburg still. Okay, we'll go down to the south towns. Presently, but it's, last I saw him posting videos, he had a, a house in the area and was kicking at local fields. We'll make it a home game for Matt Fairburn. We'll go down to the south towns, and um, we'll, we'll do it right. We'll, we'll find out once and for all. Get a tape measure and uh, make it official. Not do it on a football field. You got yardage markers right there. Maybe there's a world record for kicking fruit. Oh, I bet you there is. There's we probably contests. You know, there's seed spitting contests. That'd be a way to rope them in. Be like, hey, you want to break the record for how far somebody's ever kicked a cantaloupe? See, well, here's the thing. He's not going to want to risk, especially if he wants to do tryouts and stuff, but he can be there for coaching. He can give you technique sure. and all that stuff. Or, you know, he can handle it. Like you t- toss it to him. He's going to be like, eh, you probably shouldn't try this. My professional opinion is that you will fracture a, you will fracture your uh, foot. It's also cold out, so not ideal conditions for kicking fruit. I like this. I think this has to happen. <laughs> All right. Um, we have Gerald Dixon coming up. We also have uh, Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas to tell us uh, what he thinks about uh, Bills at Cardinals. Uh, by the way, Joel Staniszewski is on a little bit of a ripper. Uh, he uh, has not lost a, a wager in at least two weeks, maybe three, but his record at the moment is for the year, I think is a, hang on. He's 11, four and one. He went two and zero last week. He had the bills. Uh, he told you to take the bills and the points and he told you to take the over a uh, week before that. Uh, he went three Oh and one with his uh, picks and he's got some bonus picks again this week, which is something he doesn't always do, but he's going to pick a couple of games that he really likes uh, in addition to uh, giving us uh, his thoughts on the Bills. So we have that coming up. Um, in fact, how about this? Let's, uh, we've been prattling on long enough. Let's get to Gerald Dixon right now. We welcome back for a full month of shows now. He's been... Uh, one of the really good new friends of the Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK Podcast, Gerald Dixon, former Bill Scout, former XFL Scout, former Scottish Claymore, um, former uh, Edmonton Eskimo. There's a lot of formers, man. There's no current. Yeah. <laughs> current, but current MVP of the uh, Tim Graham and Friends uh, brought to you by CTBK Podcast. Gerald, thanks for coming back and for uh, giving your thoughts and, uh, and football insights uh, to us and to the listeners. Appreciate you having me back. Well, it, we had uh, a really engaging discussion last week heading into the Seahawks game. Uh, the Bills win that one pretty handily, up three scores uh, in, in the third quarter, two scores for almost the entire game. Um, and I think a lot of people are drawing similarities between the Seahawks and the Cardinals, uh, Sunday's opponent. Uh, obviously, NFC West teams 
we saw them play a really uh, captivating game in prime time just a few weeks ago. Seahawks, Cardinals trading blows. Um, people see some uh, some resemblance between Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray and what they're able to do. Smaller quarterbacks who do other things. Uh, the Bills. I guess what similarities do you see? What do you think the Bills can carry over from their Seahawks game plan uh, into uh, Glendale, Arizona on Sunday? Well, when you look at it, you, you see two quarterbacks that are um, that are mobile guys um, with the ability to throw from different um, platforms um, in the pocket. Like you said before, the size are, are, are about the same. But where they differ is uh, – Kyler Murray's explosiveness is a runner. Um, Russell's a, a good runner. Kyler's an elite runner with the ability to score um, with the ball in his hands every time that he runs with the ball. And uh, both of those guys are capable passers uh, in the short, intermediate, and the deep throws. Um, Russell just being a little bit more seasoned than Kyler, so a lot of the different looks that you throw at um, Russell, he, he's going to know those. Um, Kyler's going to struggle a little bit more, but you saw last week with 16 hits on the quarterback, um, Coach Frazier uh, did a pretty good job of coming up with a game plan to um, get Russell off of his game. Gerald, what do you think of the the scheme that the Cardinals are running? Um, you see a, a lot of coaches jump from college to the NFL and bring some of those concepts, but they don't all have the quarterback to plug right in and, and, you know, blend some of it all together. What do you make of, of what they're trying to do and, and what, how they're pulling it off? Well, I've always thought about the game um, evolving and the college game coming into the NFL. And I know a lot of guys are coordinators or gurus in the NFL for it for a long period of time. But when you are playing that style of football from Pop Warner all the way through high school, college, and then NFL, it's, it's only a matter of time when you get that open um, space play where you stretch the field horizontally and vertically um, with the concepts of your RPOs, run, um, your run play action passes um, coming off of those, right? And when you have a guy like Kyler Murray that's been running it at such a high and efficient rate since high school and college, it only proves when you get him in the NFL and he's still running the same offense that he's going to be that much effective. Um, over a period of time. And I think with um, the head coach's um, offensive mindset and these getting his pieces in there, you just see this offense really taking off and giving um, defenses a lot of issues of defending it. Who do you think it puts the most stress on, on the Bills' defense? Some of these, I guess, what are some of the things we should be looking for us uh, football football novices uh, that don't have the trained eye um, and, and who do you think is going to be put under the most pressure by some of the concepts that Kingsbury likes to run? Well, I'm always going to say the underneath coverage guys, your linebackers in space, right? Because those are the guys that get stretched out the most and typical off um, defensive game plan. You'll say, okay, good. The play action is going to get them sometimes, but now the play action is really behind their ears when they step up into the pocket and not only do they have to defend the pass, they also have to defend the quarterback as a runner and also be responsible for their run gaps. So now you're putting those guys in a compromising position, right? Am I going to step up and play my run gap and have my correct reads? Is it a false read? 
And the second that I take a step forward, and it is a false read, that ball comes right off my ear into a, a receiver's hands, and he's and he's running downhill extra safeties. So it's gonna it's gonna play a big part on Tremaine, um, AJ, to be able to get in those passing lanes, and also those guys up front being able to push the pocket like we spoke spoke about last week, getting Kyler's face and making sure that those passing lanes are, sh- are shrunk. They're smaller passing lanes. Those aren't those big open windows like he um, like he's seen in the, in the last few weeks. So to devise against game plan to, to to be truly effective, it's the same concept of those guys up front getting into his lap, um, the guys off the edges, get making sure they put a cup on that pocket, and your linebackers getting in those passing windows using their eyes and also having a feel of where those co- route concepts are coming from to be able to get in those passing windows and affect them. And when you have a, a long athlete um, like Tremaine Edmonds, that length now comes into play because he can put his arms out sideways, and that's a window, stretches vertical. That's another window that he closes off. So that's going to be um, play a, a big part. Neil, he's also going to have to make some plays in an in open field against that quarterback. Gerald, let's let's stay on the linebackers uh, for a, for a minute here because uh, we've uh, we've all been uh, critical and rightfully so of Tremaine Edmonds and AJ Klein uh, throughout the season. They both had phenomenal games on Sunday against uh, Russell Wilson, big hits, takeaways, tackles for losses uh, all over the field. The type of play that you expected to see from Tremaine Edmonds this year and the type of play that I think in your wildest dreams you never thought you were going to get out of A.J. Klein, uh, let alone compared to how shaky he had been. What did you see from the way they were deployed versus was it circumstance? I guess my question being, does this project forward as something that Bills fans might want to get used to, or was it? Uh, do you want to hang on for a bit? Well, I mean, I don't know if you're going to have that type of game from AJ Klein every week, right? Being the um, defensive, player. yeah. Um, but Tremaine Edmonds, what I saw was less thinking, um, and he was able just to cut it loose and get downhill. The things that we talked about last week, finding those gaps and shooting them, um, being up at the line of scrimmage where you now take out reading and keying and making him play faster as just seeing it um, and getting downhill. And I thought once once he cut when he, when he, once he cut it cut it loose last week, you saw him make um, more plays than sitting back at five or seven yards trying to read it out and then getting downhill while an offensive lineman or a blocker's on. How much does that stem from being up early and by a couple of scores that they were able just to play a different style? Do you think if it's a tighter game that we see something totally different? Or how does that change the complexion of the way that Bill's defense was able to attack? Well, I'm going to put it on – when Leslie Leslie Frazier is a calming spirit um, on that defense. So when when your leader is a calm person and he and he's always steadying that boat, regardless of what that score is, that defense is going to go off of what he is, steady, consistent. So regardless of the score of last week, I I thought they just had a real good game plan um, to affect that Seattle offense that was ready for what they brought to the table um, last Sunday. Gerald, did you notice anything different in the way they used these linebackers, specifically Edmonds and Klein, uh, 
it, it seemed at times like maybe we saw a client in spots where he was able to make plays that he wasn't able to do in weeks prior. Um, you know what? I just thought that they, um, they played their, their third down package um, very well. Well, they have those two linebackers in the A-gaps. Or at times you saw Jermaine outside lined up where Jerry was, and Jerry lined up in the A-gap, more of a that, pressure look. That's and maybe it, what I'm asking about. Was that a new wrinkle? Because I didn't notice that as much before. No, no that, that's usually um, Sean and Leslie's third down package, that double A-gap mug um, defense. They just went to it a lot more just because of what Seattle was doing because, again, they were up. And they had to pass the ball a little bit more than um, they typically do. So it, it's confusing because now your offensive line, they have to determine who's the rusher, who's coming, where are they sliding to, what side they're manning to. And you saw a few times they guessed wrong and slid away. And you saw A.J. Klein coming off the edge without Russell knowing that he's coming there. Big hit, fumble, turnover, and um, they got points out of it. So it's similar to what Vance Joseph does as well um, with the Arizona Cardinals moving forward. What expectations do you have for uh, when the Bills have the ball against the Cardinals defense on Sunday? Well, I mean, like we've always said, you, you want to get Josh off to a, a, a quick start and a good start. But you have to mix it up me a little bit more with the, with the run game um, just to make um, defenses a little bit more honest and regardless of if you're handing the ball off or you're having a screen play or something but on first down I believe you have to get five or more yards or be in that f four to five yard range and don't get into third and eight and third and seven because that's when the Arizona Cardinals defense truly ramps up and gives you that blitz package pressure package that you now have to be uncomfortable because you don't know if it's zero. You don't know if they're coming in and, and dropping into a zone. But when it's third and three, third and four, you're now putting them, them behind the chains and you dictate to them what you want to do. What do you think of the way that Josh Allen handled the blitz last week? Because this is another defense that will bring it, like you mentioned. If they, if they get into those third and longs, it's one of the most aggressive uh, blitzing defenses in the NFL by the numbers it seemed like it was one of Josh Allen's better games against the Blitz. Was there anything that you saw last week that you think is translatable going forward? Well, knowing where to go with the ball early, right, helps you a lot with the Blitz. And being able to pick it up and understanding where your protection's coming from helps you out a lot. And what I saw out of Josh Allen um, last week, I have not seen it out of him before is the patience that he had in the pocket. Um, that one throw that he held on to the ball for an extra second, you've seen him almost um, throw it like a javelin throw um, across the middle. I mean, that's, that's high-level football playing at the quarterback position, um, any way that you want to look at it. Um, before, he would have took off, um, spun around, guessed where it was coming from, but now you see a more seasoned quarterback that seems like he's spending more time um, with the game plan and understanding where the pressures are coming from and knowing, knowing where his hots are and knowing where his comfort zone is. And when you have a Beasley, a Diggs, um, you got the two running backs that are good at picking up the um, pressure. Um, Feliciano in there, um, I thought helped a lot because he brings a different attitude. Um, 
and a di different level of leadership um, to that group. And you saw those guys pick that bit, bits up. I mean, he still got, I mean, Jaron Reed still had two and a half sacks, but it wasn't a, a big issue like it was before. Slipped in an Alabama shout out there. Always. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seven sacks though, you're right. It was uh it was it wasn't as if Josh was kept completely clean, but um two quarterbacks in this game that are excellent at avoiding sacks. Um how much more of a challenge do you think Kyler Murray will be in that aspect than Russell Wilson? I know Russell is a great athlete, he can get outside the pocket, but um, we were talking earlier today. You said you think Kyler Murray's a top three quarterback in the NFL. I do. I, I think he, he he is up there. If he's not three, he's four. But he's a top five guy, in my opinion, because the way that he throws the ball, like I said, from different platforms with accuracy, timing, placement, touch, um, you don't see but a, a couple other quarterbacks that can do that. With the added ability to run at an elite level, um, it's scary. He's more of lightning in the bottle than Russell is because at any time you can see an explosive run, not for 10, but maybe for 50, right, than, um, than Russell. So I, I think that it, he adds more into the zone read game um, that you're going to have to play some um, different things with the defensive end and that linebacker. You have to chase it and scrape it or fill it and stay at home. Um, somebody's going to have to have the responsibility and this week, you're going to have to be more locked into um, option responsibility at the end of the day when they run that Zoe Reed option. But also, they have the pass off it. So, you got to be tied into that, too. What is this, what's a week like this like? Maybe you could take us inside. You know, when you're in, a, in an NFL building and you're playing a team that you don't play but what, once every four years, and they happen to have a scheme and a quarterback that not that many teams have. They, they do things that not a lot of teams can do. How difficult is that to prepare for, and what do you have to do to get ready? Well, the difficulty of preparing for every NFL game is always high, right? But that's why you get athletes that can help you out, and you can go to sleep at night and not worry about a lot of the things that you can't control because it always comes down to the Jimmys and Joes. Um, you're going to have to say, hey, listen, we took a guy in the first round a few years ago at Mike Linebacker, that's going to have to be able to spy and erase um, some plays that Kyler's going to have. Um, you're going to have to say, hey, at some point, Tredavious, um, you're going to have to man up against that number one guy so we can help more in the run game and don't give up that explosive pass. So to not be long-winded with it, um, it's always high expectations to perform, but this is why you get those guys, and this is why those guys are getting paid to do a particular job and lessen the game planning and the perfect situations for those coaches. Gerald, you mentioned Tredavious White. What do you make of his matchup when he is matched up with DeAndre Hopkins? Uh, the playoff game last year when they went up against each other seemed like two different games in each of the halves of those games. Um. So when you are locked up and you're playing man-to-man -man or you're responsible for one of the better receivers in the NFL, um, the number one thing you want to do, you want to stay focused, right? You got to stay focused on your job, your technique, and the things that you've learned throughout the weeks, the notes that you took down, and when he lines up, plus or minus, um, depending on the formation, down and distance. 
those are the things that you got to play back in your head and you can't lose um, your track and your understanding of what you're going to do in that particular defense. You can't have a busted coverage and have them score. So these are the games that you got to be locked in mentally. Um, physical, he, I mean, you already know what's going to happen. But mentally, this is where you, you want to be because this is one of the better ones that you're going to face. And he's mentally tough as heck. Sorry there. We had a little. I was waiting for – I feel like I was cutting Jonah off so many times there I didn't want to step on his follow-up question. I didn't. You all right? You, you don't want to follow up on no, that? No, I didn't have a follow-up. I was just staring at you waiting. I thought <laughs> you were going to do an ad read. Jonah, did I answer your question? You did. Yeah. Well, actually, no. Maybe if I could ask you again. I mean, my question is, Tredavious White's an excellent cornerback. And I'm asking you because you understand this a lot better than I do. But I wonder if he can – shut down DeAndre Hopkins for a full game or for in the important possessions of a game if he's asked to. And he did that. Well, I guess what I'm saying is they did that happened before in the playoffs. He seemed to do it for almost a full game, but really let Hopkins get loose late in that game. Well, you know, what do you, how confident should the Bills and the Bills fans be in White's ability to cover Hopkins if he has to? Confidence that you can cover, right? Shutting down is not happening, right? Because that, that's one of the hardest things to do is to shut down NFL receiver and when you say shut down you're saying under his average or you allow him to catch seven balls for 60 yards but I don't know about blanketing that guy and not having any plays I believe those two guys are, are equal matchups and both of those guys are going to get their just due plays and like we talked about a few weeks ago shutting down a, a an elite receiver is one of the most impossible things to do just because of the way the rules are and the way that the game's being played now. Let me add a wrinkle to this then. Because that was such a lopsided second half after Tredavious White did shut him down for the first half in that playoff game. You know him. You know the position. You know the mentality it takes. Um, how much has Tredavious White thought about this matchup since the schedule came out? Um, knowing him, he, he's going to circle every top receiver um, on his list. And he's going to do his darnest to, to put it on him just because that's just his mentality and his makeup. He, it, he has it, um, the makeup of a shutdown corner, um, if you say, or an alpha corner. Forget shutdown, an alpha corner that regardless of the situation, time, or place, he wants that matchup. So, but... Even if you have that mindset, yeah, I don't see him shutting down Newt, my personal opinion. I think it'll be a good matchup. What can you say about last week, you know, DK Metcalf was an entirely different animal than DeAndre Hopkins, um, kind of a size speed guy where DeAndre Hopkins is one of the more interesting receivers to watch because he's not going to kill you with straight line speed necessarily. Um, he's not the tallest. He's not built like DK Metcalf, but he seems like really tough to get the ball from in a contested spot. He's really good as a route runner. Um, what do you see when you see him? What, what makes him a guy that seemingly is impossible to shut down because it doesn't happen often? Um, attitude, attitude and catch rate. Yes. Um, you throw it anywhere. He's going to go up and go get it. And his competitive nature um, does not allow you to go up and just take it from him. 
and he's not coming off the field. He knows that he's the best, and he warrants that. And to me, you see a lot of receivers with more speed, more size, but heart, desire, and want to. Yeah, I don't see anybody else that's comparable to um, New Hopkins. And that's where I think he separates himself from every other receiver um, in the NFL. I don't think he's the best because I think Julio Jones is the best, hands down. But it's called close to, yeah, I'll take Nuka every day of the week just because his attitude. Toughest Clemson player to uh, come out of Clemson since Coach Sweeney's been there, without a doubt. Defense, offense, or whatever position you want. One more question about uh, Sunday uh, before we shift gears and, and talk about something with uh, – uh, that I've been looking forward to talk to you about uh, today. Uh, we, we're talking about these, you know, the matchup. We're talking about DeAndre Hopkins, rightfully so. We've talked about Kyler Murray. But o- as Matt said, you get to play these teams once every four years. This, right. you would have to guess, is the last time the Bills will play against Larry Fitzgerald. One of my favorite players of all time because of because he's great number one number two because he is such a good dude and number three because I think despite how great he is he's still underrated I think it's possible yes he's going to be in the hall of fame someday I once had this discussion with somebody regarding Tony Gwynn Tony Gwynn obviously one of the all-time great hitters Uh, maybe you could argue top five top three uh, maybe top two, um, Ted Williams and, and Tony Gwynn, maybe. I, I mentioned one time, I think Tony Gwynn is underrated. I think it's possible to be a legend and underrated. And for me, Larry Fitzgerald fits that bill. So I don't want this discussion about the Cardinals offense to go without mentioning Larry Fitzgerald, who is old and yet clearly not playing out the string of his career. He's still a very good football player. I just wanted to get your thoughts, uh, Gerald, on, on this guy. Well, the thing is, you got to look at Larry. You're going to say, whenever you throw the ball, it's going to be caught, right? Uh, ball's not I saw a stat. He hasn't had a drop in like four years or something. Right. Steady professional that understands where he is right now in his career. And unlike most older guys, you don't see him try to, best way to put this, not allow the young guys to get their just due. Because a lot of the older guys will, you know, just because of where they've been and where they are in the organization, will try to say, okay, Nuke, even if you came over, you're still not the number one guy. And Chris and Kirk, you're not going to develop into the player that you can be. Um, and I think Larry's one of the better leaders in the NFL that teaches the game and understands his responsibility as an older player to push forward younger players to that level where they should be. Um, a la what he did for Andre Roberts. Andre talks about it all the time, um, about how Larry helped his career on and off the field um, as a professional. So, I don't like you said, it's underrated just because of the professional that he is, the leader that he is, but his skill set and his playing ability, um, everyone knows about it. It's just he doesn't run around and pump his chest up or spike the ball and do a dance after every single touchdown. Only 33 catches for 261 yards. No touchdowns yet this year. But he's playing 75% of the offensive snaps. And, uh, you know, 75% of the snaps on a team that's doing as well as the Cardinals. He's obviously important. Huge leader on that team. Walter Payton Man of the Year Award in 2016. 
and uh, will be in the Hall of Fame. He's like um, the Frank Gore of wide receivers. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's still, he's being, he's still being productive, and everybody right. wants to put him out, but you can't – I mean, you cut the film on, you're saying, wow, these, he's still playing well at a, at a high level. Uh, Gerald, uh, one of the things we wanted to get into today is uh, the NFL and new policies that have put in place this week regarding minority development and – I get, we'll get into it, but I guess to set the table, let me explain to the listeners who maybe have heard that this is happening or whatever. Let's just set it up. So the NFL, uh, which earlier this year enhanced the Rooney Rule, which guarantees that minorities are interviewed for head coaching and uh, general manager vacancies historically, uh, enhanced the Rooney Rule this year to include uh, now two minorities must be interviewed for every head coaching and general manager vacancy and at least one minority for every coordinator vacancy. Um, And then this week, the NFL added uh, a system, I guess, for lack of a better word, in which uh, if a minority from your organization, whether it be an assistant coach or an executive Uh, gets hired by another team to be its head coach or general manager, that team that lost the minority will receive a third-round compensatory pick. If that team were to lose two minorities in a given offseason for those types of jobs, you get three third-round compensatory picks. So the theory being that if you cultivate minorities within your organization and lose them, you will be rewarded. So there is a, uh, a carrot to be dangled for giving opportunity to minorities. That is very much a surface take on this. And the reason I want that I set it up this way is now let's go beneath the surface and take a look at it. Gerald as a minority who has been in, Uh, Front offices, uh, not only in the NFL, but the XFL, college football, you've been around. Uh, What is your, um, what's what's your response or your reaction to these, uh, this new system? I mean, you have to take your hat off to the NFL and say they're trying to do their their best job of allowing minorities to have an equal um, playing surface, um, so to say. But to incentivize um, opportunities that you should get regardless of who you are, I mean, the thing that you're doing is you're trying to become the best at your profession. And if if you're in the front office, you're trying to get to the general manager. If you're an assistant coach, you're trying to be a a head coach. And the thought of saying that a particular organization is developing a minority, to me, I look at it as saying, how do you know what – it's being done within that building. Um, is there a time limit on that? If I show up in a year or two, does that mean I was developed or was I already a good talent evaluator or a good position coach? And why shouldn't I get that job? And when you look at it, who wants to be in a building or get a job and you have to look around, you're walking around the combine, you're saying, well, did he just get the job? because you know they incentivized it or did he really earn the opportunity to get that job and again that's not an equal playing surface 
And is that an executive walking around wearing that? And I'm just pulling a team out. I'm not sure. Yeah. Is that an executive walking around wearing that Rams logo? Or are the, is, that a, or is that the Rams cultivating a third-round pick? Correct. So it, 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 you look at it and say, is, is it still – is it a fair playing field? And I'm going to say no. Um, until we get it to where the best person is hired, regardless of the color of their skin, it's not going to be an equal um, factor moving forward. What Gerald, your... one of the things that I've thought is very important for this – well, wait, let, let me open it up to actually to Jonah and Matthew before I – I don't want to change the subject too much. I don't know, you guys, uh, what your thoughts are on this particular system uh, before I start throwing out ways that uh, it, should, it should be done. What, right. what, are, your, what are your guys' thoughts on, um, on what the NFL at least is, has introduced here? Yeah, I think it's – it's admirable that they keep trying different things and, and throwing different things out there. The first thought I had when it, when it came across was, you know, this is going to almost decentivize the hiring of minorities because you don't want to help out another team. Um, you don't want to, a third round pick is not just a Trump change. That's a, you know, could be a, a, an impact player for you. Alvin Kamara, Russell Wilson. Right. Um, yeah, it's Russell. Yeah, it's a lot of really good players have, have come in the third round. Teams value those picks so highly that we saw no movement at the trade deadline because teams want to hold on to picks like that. Right. And my initial thought is, yeah, is a team going to look and say, am I going to hire, um, you know, a, you know, a minority candidate to be my GM or to, am I going to hire Leslie Frazier to be my head coach? Uh, you know, if it means that a team in my conference or a team in my division is getting an extra third round pick to get better. So it's, I, I don't know. I don't know if it'll work. Uh, I, like I said, that they're trying things is good, but um, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's tough. To me, it's murky up in the water, right? So case in point, say Buffalo Bills, uh, you got Leslie Frazier and say that Joe D is now removed from the New York Jets, right? So they got to get a, a general manager and they got to get a head coach. Leslie Frazier, say Terrence Gray or Malik Boyd, right? Does the Jets say, well, the Buffalo Bills say the Buffalo Bills win the division and go on to win the Super Bowl? Are you going to give three picks? to the Super Bowl winning team within your division <laughs> just to get um, two minorities? Or are you going to say, you know what? Apples to apples is all equal. Now nah, we're not going to go in that direction. I'd rather go somewhere else than allow the Bills to get better. Yeah, I'll go get Joe Brady. Okay. I'll go, you know, I'll go yeah. hire whoever. Whoever in another direction. Right? So now are you now are you – setting back those two minorities from not getting the opportunity just because you incentivize it's so so high and so rich that nobody wants to go out and do that well, and again on the other side everyone's gonna say well you know we're gonna get our right guy we're gonna get our head coach but at the end of the day until you're behind those glasses and you are the minority that's looking through those glasses you're not gonna feel that particular way until it happens to you yeah it's um it's it's interesting because there are so few of these jobs and so few openings each year 
that, and you know, one of them is going to be the Jets job, presumably. Um, so Leslie Frazier only has however many jobs open up this off season. Right. You can almost take the Jets job off the table because of what you just said. And so is he going to have to wait an extra year or how many years does Terrence Gray have to wait? It, what it does is it help. It probably does help what Tim's talking about, you know, the, the development of these, these candidates. Um, you know, you may be more likely to hire a minority for an entry level job because you're thinking down the road. One day this guy will but what's be. What's your motivation? That's the thing that th- that seems kind of greasy about it, right? Well, yeah, it does. That your motivation for you're not doing it because you want because you think this guy deserves it. Right. You're doing it because you can get something for it. Correct. So when 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 a lot of so he becomes an asset, he's not he's not an employee or a you know he is a he's an asset. Yeah, he's he's a potential he's third rounder. Number one yeah. one five that's going to get me a. Uh, Third round pick in three years. Not, you know what? That young person has the ability to develop to become the next head coach or the next general manager. And and I think where a lot of this is missing is the developmental factor of when you are a leader, right? When you're a leader, um, when I when I was a coach, put it, I, I run it my way. When I was a coach, and I had a graduate assistant um, that was working with me. My number one job was to allow that guy to coach and in two years become a position coach and have a full-time job, right? If you're in a leadership position and the person that's, that's next to you, that's your assistant, is not moving on within three to four years, then you're not doing your job at a high and efficient rate. So regardless of what we're talking about with developmental aspect. You should want to develop regardless of what it is. But now that we're talking about minorities, we got to do a better job of that. Here's and, another Here's right. another element, Joe, because you mentioned it there. And because I, 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 I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't interrupt, but I get excited. Because oh, this is a little, it's a pet peeve of mine. And all of us, we talk about it all the time. I don't know that I've ever spoken to you specifically about it, Gerald, but us three have. And I'm guessing you've have this. We're already seeing it. I saw tweets today about a matchup tonight featuring all these great young coaches that are going to be uh, up for jobs next year. This media machine that comes out because they have so many friends who are agents and it's now time to start helping out my buddy who's an agent who represents coaches and represents these executives. So I'm going to start floating. Maybe shares an agent sometimes. Maybe shares an agent sometimes. That that happens too. I mean, there are some of these – National oh, yeah. list that Here's come out. Here's the next hot coach, Doug, I mean, Marone. Doug Marone, out of nowhere. Right. All of a sudden, it's like, who the what? Doug mm-hmm. Marone. Look at the agency that's backing those coaches. Exactly. exactly. Guys like Jimmy Sexton. We got you know Bob Lamont. You got all these agents who manipulate and move their guys around, and they Not do it through media. Right. So, so all right. So that's my setup, my windup. So then the pitch is this. What's to say that we have teams developing this is a bad phrase to use a a shad a dummy cat a dummy candidate a guy here's a guy I'm going to start developing I got a black guy in my office he is going to be my hot ten, my hot scout right 
and he does nothing or we don't give him anything to do except when it comes time for me to slip his name to a reporter or to get his name in a column or to get his name mentioned on uh, ESPN or what have you, or in a tweet, and he starts getting some buzz because that buzz then becomes a third-round pick that I got for nothing for this guy who was going to sit in my office and rot, uh, and and he ends up going off to some team. And it doesn't do him any favors because now he's not ready for the job. doesn't do us, minorities. Yes. Justice in terms of development and understanding what to do, when to do it, and how to do it in an efficient way. Because so many of these coaches are propped up anyway. It's all based on it's a belief. Like, well, this is the this is the next hot coach because I'm told he's because, and owners do that and they hire. They get wild by a guy and it's like, well, his name's been out there in the media for three months as the next guy. Oh, well, this guy was this guy was Sean McVay's drinking buddy in college. He must uh, he must have the secret sauce. Yeah. But but my thing is 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 also not a pet peeve of mine, but an angle that I also look at. Right, sometimes. When you, when you are behind the eight ball and you're disadvantaged and you don't have um, the ability to be in those positions, like you said earlier, of having a best friend that's the head coach or the general manager's son's cousin that gets into that building and becomes the next hot name. So now you are a minority and you are a general manager or you are a head coach. Why aren't minority head coaches hiring other minorities in positions to be hired as a head coach, right? Because they're under the spotlight and they can't get away with it. You can get away with whatever you want if you are winning at a high level, right? You well, look at, to a degree. And this is where I'm here's white guy pushing back. Just hold on for one second. Let me get this. Let me just, you got it. You got right? it. All right. Who's the winningest head coach, black head coach in the last 15 years? Mike Tomlin. Right. No, I was going to say Tony Dungy, but yeah. Right. Right. Whatever. That's active, right? I should have yeah, said Tom, active. Tom is a good right? Look at his hires over the last 10 years that he's been there, right? In a position to be hired as a, as a next head coach, right? You've seen two head coaches come from his umbrella, right? Gailey and B.A., right? Who's to say Byron Leffridge couldn't have been at the, um, coaching Ben Roethlisberger for the last two or three years to be in position to warrant a head coaching job. So my mm-hmm. thing is, if minorities are in that position, do the same as everybody else has done over the last 20, 30 years. Hire, push forward, right? Develop. Even if they aren't um, qualified for that job like a lot of people aren't, give them a job just because. Because the system is not set up for success, for minority, to get that opportunity at the same rate that everybody else does. I misspoke, Gerald. I didn't mean in that sense. And thank you no, for clarifying good. it. And because I, I need to clarify, my take was more from the nepotism standpoint of it. Right. You've had successful head coaches, black head coaches, and yes, occasionally there will be a son that gets hired but not like white coach. White coaches can hire whoever they want. If they have the same last name, you have situations like Gary Kubiak, who turns down jobs unless I can take my son with me. Greg Williams, I will not come there unless my son comes with me. Norv Turner, uh, all these guys. Uh, Charlie Weiss's son is a Division One offensive coordinator. He never played the game in high school. Who's a, who's um, a defensive call, um, play caller for the New England Patriots? 
Is it's one of the Belichicks, Belichick. right? I mean, I know that they, it's, he's technically not the coordinator, but yeah, one of them, Steve, I think. That's why I say um, play calls. So at the end of the day, if the, if 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 whites are doing it, why aren't other minorities? Lovey right? Smith got raked over the coals in Chicago for hiring his son. Um, so you have to, yeah, Take move on, right? And, yeah, you're and right. Even, and even when you look at and when you look at it, um in the personnel office, right in the front offices. Like a guy, say Ozzie Newsom, right? I mean, he's he's one of my Bama guys, but we got to be able to push forward like everybody else does, just to get ahead. And well, here's where I position. a remedy that I think can be found. I I think it, I think the NFL is doing this backwards. I, I the Rooney Rule as it was constituted was landmark and changed the game forever and should be lauded. But just trying to keep coming up underneath and push the Rooney rule up doesn't do it for me. What I think, and some story, I've written about this before. I've interviewed John Wooten from the Fritz Pollard Alliance and, you know, as many, you know, minority coaches as I, as I can. I was tracking the data of it uh, as of far back as two years ago, going to the Power Five conferences, uh, which is deplorable also in That's higher level. Quarterbacks, coaches, offensive coordinators, um, quality control coaches. That is the key entry level jobs because these quality control coaches get these jobs and nobody thinks about them. They get these jobs nice and quietly. They often have the last name of somebody else on the staff. Correct. Always the head coach. Maybe it's your offensive line coach. Maybe it's your, your former head coach from when you played and you're given a favor to your, his grandson, uh, whatever. And what happens is they're gophers and they're right. not, fun jobs and they get the coffee and they do the Xeroxes and they break down the plays and they do the film and everything. But what happens is they get to know the offense at such a granular level that they then get the trust. And then they're in the quarterback's room and they're talking to those guys every day and they're dealing with the offensive coordinator every day. And then they're dealing with the head coach every day. And then before you know it, um, as Jimmy Ray once told me five years ago, I didn't know who this guy was and now he's a head coach. Right. And Jimmy Ray can't, you know, he couldn't get a job. But, but the, so anyway, I think that the Rooney rule needs to apply to the entry level jobs, the quality control coaches, all these, whatever, Sean McDermott, he's just got somebody on his staff that's just called assistant, you know, whatever it is. He's, get, those guys need to have, you have to interview a minority for those jobs and let those guys get in those meeting rooms and work with the teams. But e even when that does happen to me, and, and I think that's a great idea, um, it's really don't patronize me, Gerald. No, 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 don't no, no, push no. back on this. No, 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 I'm not pushing back. I'm pushing that forward because that's a that's a, that's right. a standing idea. I was proud of that. I, I've been working but, on it. But but also, when when you have those, because I've I've been in the coaching realm where you see the quality control guys coming along. But what happens is most. Minor, most most young minority um, entry level guys, they don't have the finances to go three or four years of not getting paid, right? Yep. To do right. those jobs, right? So right. when you create those positions, you got to almost have it of saying, hey, you know what? He's almost on scholarship for these three or four years because maybe that's where these draft picks come from. If they come up through this system, right? It, it, and then it, it, they get the job. Right. Then you get the third round draft pick because you develop this guy honestly. 
Because if you go down to Tuscaloosa, if you go down to Tuscaloosa, you're going to have a zillion of those guys lined up just doing work because mom and dad can truly afford to pay for you to go to college and not work and three or four years not have a job and still be the quality control guy. When minorities say, listen, I don't have it. I can't do the quality control job because I'm not, I don't have any money to barely eat or survive. So even though those jobs are available somewhat and they're still not that easily accessible, I'm going to tell you that right now because those are jobs that are still being pipelined by the big-time agencies and the coach's cousin and the uncle of the nephew of a brother of a son of the grandchild of a nephew get that job. And then, like you said, in four years, they become that. But I'm always going to say, if you are a minority, you have to just say, you know what? The only way that I can get this done is I have to physically make this higher. You, 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 and you. Go down to every HBCU and say, you know what? I'm taking five of y'all, and we're coming along, and I'm going to get you guys straightened out in order to to push forward and get more guys coming through the pipelines. I just want to leave, uh, before I let other people talk, and I'm sorry, Jonah, that we've been steamrolling you here, but uh, just real, real quick, a, a, a stat from my research. Uh, heading into last season, when I did a story on the lack of minority offensive coaches, uh, heading into last season, there were 30 quarterbacks coaches because John Gruden and Kyle Shanahan handle those jobs as head coaches. So 30 you know, plus those two. Six teams uh, also listed quarterback coach assistants. So there was an assistant to the quarterback's coach. So that's 36 jobs coaching quarterbacks uh, in the NFL. Twelve or, uh, Five were minorities out of 36. 12 of those 36, however, never played quarterback in college or the pros. So you were almost three times more likely to have not played the position and coached quarterbacks in the NFL than to have been a minority coaching quarterbacks in the NFL. Wow. That's nepotism. That's getting breaks in these jobs where Pete Carroll with his two sons on the staff and whatever, boys, whatever you got. All right. Well, you learned it. Hey, he put in his dues for those three years, you know, breaking down film. Well, yeah, he was living with his dad and he was, you know, at the facility every day. And um, it's, it's funny how the people with the, with the same DNA all happen to be the only, the only acceptable coaches. And then, and then you got to understand the aspect of exposure, right? You're exposed to coaching. Um, you're exposed to, exposed to understanding how to interview, right? How to set up game plans because you're in that environment on a daily basis, right? That, that, that's one of the biggest things that I tell, um, you, you know, young people that's trying to get into scouting or what makes a good scout. Um, it's the ability to present, right? To paint a picture when nobody else is, is, is there watching it, but through your words, you can explain what the next coming of the great quarterback's going to be like. And if you're not in the setting, if you're not being taught that, if you're not getting the ability to do that weekly, it's going to be tough. Like I, like Malik Boyd, what, what, what he does um, in terms of um, developing young people, I, it was incredible. Um, Jim Monas, same thing. Doug Whaley, um, those guys. Because they, they'll give you the opportunity to present in front of the head coach, Owner, 
Um, Doug Whaley being a general manager at times, Brandon Bean being a general manager, those guys give you opportunities to present. But if you don't have that, it, it's tough. And again, Doug Whaley and I always talk about it all the time. It's exposure, exposure to the, to the owner, exposure to the head coach, exposure to the general manager to help push yourself forward. But if you're not in that position, you won't get a shot. Gerald, that's kind of what I wanted to, to ask you. You've been, you've been, had your foot in the door. Um, you've got, you kind of had to scratch and claw your way to get into the bills facility. And it was through what you're talking about being, you know, you mentioned a conversation with Jim Monas that kind of sparked a, a friendship there where, um, that got you in the door. What was your experience when you were with the bills? You, you were with Doug Whaley hired by Doug Whaley and then rehired by Brandon Bean had to re-interview, um, I guess the experience of hanging around and getting in the door, but then what you're talking about, the development aspect of it, because um, it's also you, you had to make that move to the XFL to break that glass ceiling a little bit. Right. Um, like I said, I, I, I thought I got as much as I could out of uh, my experience and I, I had to get developed in a leadership role where it was a it wasn't a solo act but create that um situation for myself um from my background the way that my dad raised me i'm jamaican the way that we came up it's you got to push yourself forward um you can wait as long as you want to but when you see certain um moves happening and you aren't being pushed forward and, and and i don't mean by um title i mean by responsibility and moving forward, then you have to make your own way and see your own way out of the dark, um, so to say. And that's what I try to do for myself. And that's what I would explain to any young person that's trying to get ahead. You got to push yourself forward um, and give yourself every opportunity to be great and, and get those responsibilities. Because if you're not getting those responsibilities, I don't know how far or how much you can grow within your profession. And if you truly want to be one of the better ones and you're truly a competitor, you want to grow. And growth is the number one thing that you're trying to do and become. I think we've run out of questions for Gerald. All good. I don't want to change the subject because uh, I, I don't – I don't want to misspeak by saying I love the topic that we just talked about because I think it's a sad topic that we have to discuss it the way we do. But if we don't discuss it, then it's even then it becomes tragic, I think. Right. And so um, to, to change the subject and try to throw something else uh, flipping on top of it before we wrap up here makes it seem like, you know, we doesn't seem right. I want to end it on this topic and uh, hopefully people, uh, Think about it, sure. and uh, when they when they shut off the podcast, uh, contemplate some ways um, that things need to change. And yeah. I, I know that there's a lot of pushback and some immediate, uh, well, uh, affirmative action, um, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, I had to work for what I got. You have to. Hey, it's it's not about working hard, right? A lot of people work hard, and like you just said, and you just don't get the opportunity. Right. I don't. Not many guys worked harder than the guy we're talking to here. Um, I mean, that. I mean, if you if you read his story, I'd I guess there's not too many guys working in the NFL that 
that had to get take that path. So I mean, he that had the golden ticket. He was born in Jamaica, <laughs> where all NFL uh, future NFL employees come from. He did, he won the lottery. He won the DNA lottery, and that's it. And uh, yeah, I wish I was born in Jamaica, and I'd I'd probably be GM by now. <laughs> just that easy. No, nah, I mean, what, the tougher roads make you um, a better person, man. When you start out on a hard road, the, 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 as, as long as you go, it never gets as hard as the beginning. Everything else becomes a little bit more smooth, and you can transition to basically anything. Um, uh, Matt's story is, uh, I think Matt did a great job telling your story, but it is your story. And, very much um, so. And you had, to, uh, you had to deal with so much uh, to get to not only where you are, but where you're going. And, Appreciate that. Uh, it's will be uh i'm just happy that you're slumming it with us for uh for as long as uh as long as you're able no nah, uh, listen we're, we're, we're all be tied in now if if mark ross on nfl network did an outstanding job presenting a lot of that um information that we just spoke about and he is a living example of of why and how um he's not a general manager you can check his, his background, his resume, and put it up to a lot of these guys that are hired or continually getting hired. And it's, it's no answer. And until you can give a firm answer on why and with, a, with a good explanation and thought behind it, it's always going to be it's, it's not fair and that you're not playing on the same surface or it's not equal. Until I don't want to... I don't want to marginalize what Eric Bieniemy is going through. I I understand actually why he's not getting some opportunities, and I think much of it has to do with the fact that Andy Reid's known as that play caller more than you know than it's any nefarious plot against him. But if you think it's been unfair for Eric Bieniemy, yeah, take a look at somebody like like him, like right. and or Jimmy Ray. Right. You know, take a look at these guys who. Didn't even get interviewed. Didn't weren't even considered. Well, let, let me put something to you. Um, just an, just another spin on um, uh, uh, a guy like Eric Bieniemy, which I think, if if this is his approach, I think it's outstanding, right? Um, most minorities when they do get a job, they get the worst ones, right? The paint's coming off the wall, and you got to put yep. the whole entire structure together and before you get it going. Um, somebody else comes in and they get um, the golden nugget, right? Tampa Bay. Um, San Francisco, right? The next man gets a golden nugget. Eric Bannum is in an outstanding position to dictate, and most minorities aren't in that position to dictate the job and to handpick the opportunity that he should get to push him forward to become the best um, head coach and put in the best situation um, initially when he starts out. So if I'm Eric, I'm sitting here saying, okay, I got a potential Hall of Fame quarterback on my hand, right? I'm allowed to call plays. Financially, I think he's secure. He just won the Super Bowl. There's a good chance that he wins it again, right? You have Kelsey there. You have Watkins there. You have your offensive line there. The defense is there. You just got a stud running back. If the job's not right for me at this opportunity and this time, I'm sitting right here and waiting until that opportunity comes so I can handpick my perfect situation. Instead Joe of Flacco's, though. Joe Flacco's at the Meadowlands waiting for him. Super Bowl winning quarterback, Joe Flacco. Don't want to go in a dumpster fire if you can't control the inferno. 
<laughs> Gerald, let me ask you this. Um, and I'm going to turn the light on, on us, us media guys here and say, what, what do you think of the way that we touched on a little bit, you know, of course the, the, you know, guys helping out an agent or pumping up certain candidates, but what do you think about the way that minorities that get the jobs, be it head coach, general manager are covered, um, relative to their white counterparts in terms of just i'll leave it like that what what do you what do you think can be how could we be better i guess it's almost like a a a double standard right to where you know blacks are looked at as and if you don't go in and you don't win automatically or you you have a Pete Carroll situation where he gets a job early and he fails several times, right? As a minority or black, you don't you don't get that opportunity again. And I it's hard to say what the media does because you guys write stories that's going to sell. And I don't think that we look at the damage that you do to a, uh, a person's career when you throw that snowball and start rolling it downhill. And it's already uh a steep hill for minorities to get back. So I, I, I just ask that we all look at it with an open eye and an equal eye of saying, okay, good. That guy sucked for this long. It's no different than that other guy that's sucking. They just look different, you know, just graded as what it is instead of being impartial to your opinion on the skin color of that person. Just make it fair as possible. Now, I don't think anyone's asking for anything um, that you wouldn't do to another person, but just make it equal and make it fair moving forward. Amen. Amen, Gerald. I think the uh, the general manager of the Bills are playing this weekend is a pretty good example of a guy that uh, he's got. He's gotten uh, the head coach too. Well, yeah, the head coach, but uh, yeah, the head coach has, you know, average head coach in college, never really won anything. And, you know, it, it's a timely conversation. The, the general oh, manager, the, the head coach, the head coach kept failing upwards. You're right. Yeah. He got pushed. He, he, he got put, he failed forward. Yeah. And, right? Steve, and Steve Kime, I'll say his name. Uh, <laughs> he, you know, he's gotten in some trouble off away from, away from the office. He's, uh, you know, gotten a few cracks at drafting quarterbacks in the top 10. Um, and it's, yeah, I think you think about, you know, some of that, you think about the way, um, you know, even Anthony Lynn is in his first year with a rookie quarterback and people are, are already piling on him. And, um, and that quarterback's doing outstanding. And he's having a great year. Yeah. So what's I, I think. The, what's, the, what's, the, what's the issue for me? Like, right. You have a young quarterback. Um, you've had guys hurt all year, and I'm 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 an A-Lynn guy, right? Friend, but I'm speaking and, and being honest, right? You, you take a young quarterback that a lot of people said was not ready and every every obstacle against him, right? You hire Pep Hamilton, right? And I'm not giving him Pep a, a buzz because I've known Pep for a long time, since I was 17 years old, right? We worked together in the XFL. But when I spoke to A-Lynn, I said, great teacher of young people easiest hire you can possibly have right but he gets um justin and he's doing an outstanding job with justin 
you know, why isn't Pep Hamilton the next hot name? You know, why isn't he the guy that everyone's talking about of saying, wow, he's a quarterback developer? That's what Cliff Kingsbury um, is supposed to be, a quarterback developer. And he fails forward, right? All Pepper Hamilton has ever done is develop Andrew Luck. And now you got Justin Herbert. And when he was in the XFL, number one team in the East. Theoretically. So, huh? Theoretically. No, fact. <laughs> we did that. <laughs> fact. So now you, you say, push okay. back every time you brag. I got to I got to you come in here and you just it's it's you're a homer. No, I'm a, I'm a, I, I try to speak you're the, the truth. worst homer ever. And I just need true. to check. I feel it's a visceral. I just have to check it. I just have to say, look, man. Think about it just for a second before you start <laughs> right. saying these things. No, it's just true. So why why isn't Pat Hamilton and Anthony Lynn being like, wow, he, they're doing a solid job out there. Um, and well, all the losses, you know. Yeah. So I, I do think they're doing a great job. And I think it would be absurd if they were to get rid of Anthony Lynn. Uh, but, I, I mean, the losses just keep mounting. And that's – that's with a, rookie, with a rookie quarterback? Like, yeah, I know. I know. I mean, you're just saying why. I mean, I'm just – What's Cincinnati, Cincinnati's record? Yeah, but Cincinnati is supposed to be bad, right? Yeah, but I, no. I, but I the, the this, point this, stands. I think, <laughs> I think what the 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 large point, and I to localize it, and to you know, like, look at Steve Keim is is still employed. Dave Caldwell is still employed. How many general managers that get fired find their way into Dennis Hickey's in the Bills front office, and Doug Whaley is not. Yet he drafted a lot of good players. I don't think anybody's arguing necessarily that he should still be the general manager. Um, you know, I don't think that that comes into play too much when he, you know, he's okay. So he gets let go, but it's the, it's the steps after that, right. The not being I able to get another opportunity, on. Jerry Reese, right. Jerry exactly. Reese, who was one of the best general managers in football for a long time. You've got right. Steve Kime still employed. Is Dave Caldwell going to get to pick what, what will this be like his third quarterback that he gets to pick? I mean, you know, how many, how many of these, uh, how long do these guys get to stick around and, and why, um, you know, and it's same thing, right? Anthony Lynn gets viewed one way and the Bengals get viewed another. Um, I don't know. It's one guy's losing on the last dr- drive of, of, of each game of like every game he's ever played. <laughs> it's, the, pro- got- yeah, the problem with Anthony Lynn is that they need to find more boring ways to lose. If they right. were lo- boring ways, people wouldn't be talking about yeah. it. I'm not saying that as a, le- that's not a legitimate thing. I'm saying, Judge them all the same. What I'm saying is that people Judge are talking the about it because they keep losing in these crazy ways. And that's not his fault, but that's why people are talking about it. Is a loss a loss and a W a W? Yes, oh, but, but I'm, Steve, I'm just we, – We just had a conversation about covering the stories. And no, no. I, the person, I'm right? not justifying it. I'm explaining it. No, I'm explaining it too. So when you write a story, you say, oh, my God, they lost in the last second by one point. The other team – this loss by 50, but it was surely exciting. <laughs> Period. Well, you pick up that story and you're like, oh, yeah, fire that guy. Keep him around because he's developing and they're losing by a lot. But I know next year they're only going to lose by a lot. Well, one. I would question that writer. Uh, I, would, uh, I would have a little trouble as that guy's editor. But, yeah. 
But yeah, you know, what plays on what you need, the stories that lead are the ones that have the best highlights. And when you can watch when ESPN and NFL Network, I mean, and it's the NFL's own network. It's not like the NFL's finding it. They, they, they play it up too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it, they, they're not, they're not in it for necessarily gamesmanship and fair play and all these other things. I mean, that's the rules of the game. The NFL is a television sh- is a network. It's just a television show right. and they're going to try to give you as many different. So when the chargers week after week, keep losing in these crazy ways that allow the, the, announcer to say, and you won't believe what you're about to see again from the Chargers, then they roll the tape. And if the Chargers had lost by, you know, 10 points and they trailed throughout the entire fourth quarter by 13 or 14, then their highlights aren't even shown probably. And people aren't even talking about Anthony Lynn. I mean, it's unfortunate. That's the thing that's unfortunate. You're right. But it's how- Let me ask you a question right now. If If you had to give a rookie of the year award right now, today ended right now, who's, who's your rookie of the year? I'm bad. I'm for, bad with that because I I need to take a look. I, I don't I don't know. We had our poll, um, the athletic writers, and I voted for Herbert. Good. So you're going to fire the guys that's developed the third quarterback that was taken. Right? I'm not firing anybody. I want to. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying this. This is merely conversation, right? I don't know, man. I don't like the year, way you're doing that. The guys that developed this quarterback, and you get your team back next year. You're going to try to move on. Like, and he wasn't supposed to be good, right? Well, not not that Herbert wasn't supposed to be good, but he wasn't supposed to be this good. He's not this supposed quick. to be playing. He's not supposed to be this good this quick. He's not, he's not supposed, supposed to be playing, playing. right? Which if is even not, yeah. if he's not an actor. He he's not playing. He is the offensive rookie of the year right now. I mean, yeah. looking objectively at at all at everything that's going on, it's mm-hmm. he should win if it ended today, which it doesn't. But and if we had a Pro Bowl this year, he'll be getting some Pro Bowl votes. Yeah. Well, he'd be in the Pro Bowl. So why aren't we talking about the guy? Yeah, he would after a few coaching guys. Coaching him out. and developing him. <laughs> like to me, that's that that's the best story this year. How did we get a guy that was not supposed to be playing, playing at this high level, carrying his team weekly into a last second drive? It's going to be Gerald, a good conversation probably, to have in a couple of weeks when the Chargers come to town. I'm guessing it's the offensive quality control coaches behind it. <laughs> <laughs> it's good conversation. And I want to see what that guy's last name is. I'm going to look it up. You guys talk it's not to Dixon. Him. I can't, I don't want to leave anybody. Hang. I got to look up the chat. I got to look up the Chargers coaching staff now. I, I know, I know one of them. And I know what the last name is. Anthony Lynn does have his son on staff. Right, but he's on the other side of the ball, I think. That and the other thing too, yeah. Anthony Lynn's son has also been away from Anthony Lynn a lot. He was with the Texans, so they haven't always been together. He's actually gone to other teams. D Lynn's, D. Lynn's a solid coach. He can coach. Well, I was in the office with him. He can coach. But yeah, run through that list. Um, all those assistant assistants on that list, and tell me if there's yeah. any names that that are familiar with anybody. Anthony Lynn's one of the. Gus Bradley is the defensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. Shane, I can never say his name. Steichen is the offensive coordinator. George Stewart, good old George Stewart, uh, is the special teams coordinator. Mm -hmm. Uh, Offensive line, which is also where you rarely see uh, minorities, but uh, James Campen is the offensive line coach. 
Phil McGagan is the wide receivers coach. Mark Ridgely, running backs. Uh, Alfredo Roberts at is the tight ends coach. Pep Hamilton, quarterbacks. Dan Shamash is the tight ends co assistant tight ends. David Diaz Infante, assistant O-line coach. Oh, <laughs> offensive quality control coach. Who's that? Let me just double check here. <laughs> check it twice. Tell me who it is. Yep, I told you it was this guy. I told you this was the – I knew he was behind it. Yeah, this is why Pep Hamilton will not get a job because this guy is behind Justin Herbert's success. And nobody can deny it. Seth Ryan, former Clemson, <laughs> former Clemson star Seth Ryan. Who is Seth Ryan? Who is he related is the to? the offensive quality control coach. This is, I, you can't make this up because I didn't, know, I didn't know this. Who is he related to? It's Rex Ryan's son. Hmm. Rob Ryan's nephew, more importantly. Imagine how imagine how he got that job. Probably because of his his career at Clemson, which is obviously he gets on the and that's how they do it too. You know, you see these coaches' sons end up as the fourth string quarterback and they're non-scholarship because they don't need a scholarship. And so they end up getting to stay at a college for four years on a football team, learning offenses and learning whatever. And then they can say, I played quarterback at um, well, Wade Phillips' son, who went to Will North. Uh, Seth he, Ryan was a receiver, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a holder as well, though. Well, well he, he yeah. touched the ball. Yeah, yeah, but he ended up at, but he ended up at Clemson. Um, got it with a national and, championship, and, right? And Coach Sweeney's both of his sons are playing receivers, and I'm pretty sure they're going to be uh, at some point coaching with Coach Sweeney, and he's going to let you know they're going to get hired. And I'm and I'm I'm with him. If it's my sons, they're getting hired too, and I'm doing it. Don't care who says wh what, I'm doing it. The Just third paragraph in uh, Seth's Ryan bio, he only has four paragraphs in his bio. The third paragraph says, Ryan played wide receiver at Clemson, where he was a member of the 2016 national championship team. Clemson won two ACC titles, the Orange Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl, over his time with the Tigers. You know, without context, that sounds Quite like a resume. very, yeah. And then the last paragraph, Ryan is the son of former Jets and Bills head coach Rex Ryan. Ryan recently married Meg Moran, and the couple resides in Newport Beach, California. And that's that. that that's if, his you, if, if you dig deep enough on a few staffs, right, you'll see a lot of. Oh, that no, no, I did that for the story that I was quoting earlier. I mean, it's loaded with them. I just didn't know that we were talking about <laughs> Herbert, and then I said I had no idea. I swear on my son's eyes that I had no idea. That Seth Ryan, when I when I was just flippantly saying, "Oh, it's got to be the uh, the quality control." Hey man, I just told you to dig. You you found yeah. the dirt on your own nail. I didn't I didn't give you the shovel. I just gave you. I just told you the spot. Oh dear, dig. And well, he'll be a head coach dig, in no time. If you or dig, an, he'll be a coordinator. If you dig a little bit more in the NFL, you sit back and you'll say, "Whoa." You'll you'll just say how so she's married to this what, what oh it's just a big family yeah there's check, a lot of that. I mean check out other some other staff that's close to home Seth yeah. Ryan was in the receivers room with Sammy Watkins I'm sure they I'm sure he helped uh, I'm sure they they, uh, they made <laughs> each other better keep Sammy out of this man and DeAndre Hopkins right uh you know I don't think he was Seth there. Ryan would have been there and. At the, with DeAndre Hopkins? I don't think he was there with Nuke. I don't no? think so. 
I don't think so. Sammy and Mike, yes. All right, let's wrap this up before it gets even more absurd. I said we were going to stop on a, on a heavy note, you know, give people something to think about. And it actually does make it because it's this, this adds the absurdity to it. So you think about, oh, come on, how bad can it be? Maybe if you were, if you were rolling your eyes as you're, as you're talking to uh, or as you're listening to the podcast and thinking, oh, these guys, these bleeding heart liberals talking about how the minorities need more breaks. And then we circle back, we circle back with Seth Ryan. Equal opportunity. I hear you. I hear you. There you go. Yeah. I think a minority needs a Seth Ryan opportunity. It's easy. <laughs> Just like they needed a Rex Ryan opportunity and a Rob Ryan opportunity. How did they Back start? In- Where did they start at? With who? How did they get the job? Buddy. Stop. Oh. Stop. Stop trying to insult us. Well, they just had a buddy. This isn't quiz- well. That's who. Uh, that's uh, the but the yeah the buddy who was on the staff. What was his name? Weeks. That was the guy. Gerald can't comment. <laughs> Jeff Weeks, right? That's the guy who he he always had a job with the Ryan's. He's he's a hot head coaching candidate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey You're right, <laughs> Jonah. I I want to thank you for your contributions. Uh. Jonah just had a front row seat for the podcast. Right. <laughs> Jonah's having fun. I don't have to download it later. Um, Gerald, thanks for this. Um, oh, man, anytime, man. You're, you're amazing with your insights. I enjoy it. Uh, I, I enjoy uh, the back and forth, but mostly I enjoy the enlightenment uh, and feeling smarter uh, when, I hit, uh, when I hit the button on this record, uh, on this, on the zoom, uh, recording, I, I always feel smarter when I hit the stop button than when I hit the start button. So I just, uh, want, my young, I just want, I just want Trey, my son to have, a, um, a shot at being whatever he wants to be. And if I have to do it and push him forward, that's easily done. All right. It's all, it's all a dad. Uh, and every dad deserves that for their son. Every son deserves that period. Do it for your uh, own. I don't think anybody else will before you do. All right. We'll talk to you next week, Gerald. All right. Appreciate you. Thank you. Joel Staniszewski, he's wearing a hoodie, which is strange because I thought maybe we'd get him in a sleeveless uh, tank top today, something, maybe even shirtless. The man is that warm. He is... 11-4-1 on the year, but that doesn't even do, uh, do it justice when describing uh, how well he has been treating listeners of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK because Joel is at least 5-0-1 over the last two weeks, and I'm sorry I don't have it right here in front of me, but I think your streak even heading back into that Jets week, uh, you, got, you got some right there too. So um, unbeaten for a little bit, Joel. Uh, welcome back. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Great to be on another Bills week coming off another victory and, and getting ready to take on another West Coast team. Now, the last time, though, you were feeling really good about your Bills, it maybe affected your handicapping a little bit. Uh, and you've been on here and you've said maybe you get a little excited or you, you maybe uh, um, didn't focus on the numbers as much as you did your, your um, 
your level of, of uh, captivation of what the Bills are doing. And, dare I say, the Bills are playing better now uh, when you take a look at them on the defensive side of the ball, too, than they were through those first four games, uh, or at least the feeling they give, right? Um, I don't want to put yeah. words in your mouth, but through those first no, four you're games, absolutely right. super entertaining um, and, a, and, and a lot of fun, and they're going 4-0. Going uh, but the, there were flaws, and you could see, well, from a handicapping standpoint, that had to give you a lot of things to think about. Well, the defense is rounding the turn, and I think second half of that Jets game, um, and then you know, just kind of building here, uh, including uh, last week's uh, super impressive performance against the Seahawks, giving up a lot of points, but playing with a huge lead, uh, which allowed them to tee off and do all those things that I'm sure got you excited when the defense was on the field instead of just the other way around. For sure. Uh, the defense definitely has started, to, has started to come back into the form that we wanted to see from them this year, uh, from what we've seen last year and the year before. Uh, when you look at the, the Seattle game, we were up by a lot at, uh, on a couple different occasions and yes Seattle came back and scored a couple of quick touchdowns uh one where there's broken coverage but we didn't it didn't affect us it didn't affect the game there was no point near the last you know whatever it was eight minutes of gameplay where you thought the Bills were going to lose um so you know yes it's, it's I wouldn't say it was necessarily garbage time but the the Bills weren't trying to get beat on one play. So they'll, they'll give up chunk plays and they did. And yes, they did get beat over the top on one of the touchdowns. Um, but as a whole, the defense can, can, can stop the team when they want to. And they proved that um, with, with uh, the stops that they've made, the interceptions they made, the fumbles, uh, AJ Klein playing like a all pro. Your boy. <laughs> oh man. What a, hey, I, who do you, I, you know, who do you want to go all in again uh, against uh, this week uh, on defense? Because we talked about yeah. Jermaine Edmonds and AJ Klein last week, as though uh, you know yeah. we were dealing with you know the the two thousand and the two thousand and twelve Bills or whatever. I don't know. I'm just picking a number out. I don't even know who the linebackers were that year. But uh, are we, what, like we're talking about Aiken, Adele, and um, and who knows. <laughs> Yeah, the the um, yeah. If 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 us calling out a player gets them to step up, I don't know who who do we want to call out this week. Uh, I don't know, uh, Micah Hyde. Uh, he's playing. We know. at least have to be genuine about it. I mean, we can't take. I mean, yeah. Let's uh, whoever just name a cornerback who's not Tre'Davious White. Yeah, who, who are we gonna call out? Uh, uh, oh, uh, is Josh Norman play- even gonna play? Ed Oliver. Yeah, let's call it Ed Oliver. He needs a he needs to have one of those statement games where we get sacks and he's all over the place. But I to make it legitimate, it. to make it legitimate, you need to actually give me a harsh critique of Ed Oliver right now. Uh, Ed Oliver, man, he's he's out of he's out of position. He can't get to the quarterback. He's not getting any pressure. You know, uh, thinking that Star Latulier or however you properly pronounce his name was, uh, wasn't important last year. It must be that he was important because he's not there on a defensive line and Ed Oliver is, is really struggling. So let's have him, uh, let's, let's have, let him, what do they say? Let him eat. Let, let, let Ed cook. 
or whatever, whatever is that <laughs> cool saying to, to get your ass in gear. Uh, okay. And uh, listeners of this show. And so Joel has been channeling something. We don't know here these last few weeks, not only with his picks against the spread, if you're feeling as though maybe you're superstitious uh, better, which I think is a bad, personally, it's a bad combo to be superstitious and a better. Uh, but maybe we can get into that, Joel, uh, your theories on, on that, because I know you have yours. Uh, but to be superstitious and somebody who likes to gamble, maybe then you would like to find some sort of prop bet or uh, it, will Ed Oliver get a sack, you know, go to your different, you know, online sites where you can wager on players. And in addition to whatever Joel picks for the game against the spread and the total, whatever, you add an, we'll add an Ed Oliver and I'll put an asterisk on it. It won't go against you, but we'll now, we'll now start tracking Joel yeah. Stanishevsky trash talk prop bets. I like it. Ed Oliver, get it together or you're out of here. I will look up whatever prop bet is available for him. Uh, maybe yeah, I, would do I almost, maybe here while we, while I, we talk here. If I, can. I was really tempted on Monday night to bet Jets quarterbacks under yardage, whatever it was, it was something like 215. And I was like, they're not even going to get 50 yards. And I didn't bet it. So luckily for me, I didn't bet it because Joe Flacco actually looked like he cared until it came down to the last possession before uh, the Patriots had that game winning field goal. When you see a team majority of the time, when you're watching a game and the, the, the player, the team's about to get the ball back, you see the quarterback warming up, getting loose, keeping warm, putting his helmet on. When they panned to that sideline, Joe Flacco was just sitting there. Like, he just wanted to get out of there. He just <laughs> wanted to go home. So it was like, it was like, where are they going to score right away or they're going to score? I don't want to go into overtime. I don't want any of this extra time. I just want to get out of here and cash my check. And you could see that. That was the look in his face. He just wanted to get out of there. And his, the next three plays that they called were just garbage. Took a sack. How do you take a sack in a position like that? He just didn't want to be there. And it, it was obvious. But it, for the most part of the game, he played great. But at the end, you could just tell he just didn't give a shit. He just wanted to get out of there and, and go home. Well, I mean, what a thing to say about a professional athlete, Joel. I mean, you question in the guy's manhood. So <laughs> I'm writing this down, though, too. Joe Flacco. Uh, maybe go calling over, him out. Go, go big on Joe Flacco now. Calling right? him out. That okay. piece of shit. Let's call him out too. Who are they well, playing? I don't even know who they're playing this week. I don't know. Uh, do they even have, are they even playing this week? The Jets on a bye? This week. I don't see him. Yeah, they must be on a bye this week. Um. Okay, I'm going to try to look up Ed Oliver here while we discuss uh, the Bills, though. Uh, here with Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas. Joel Staniszewski, of course, uh, longtime odds maker, handicapper, industry analyst based out in Vegas, uh, originally from Sloan, beautiful Sloan, and uh, went to St. Joe's and Buff State, and he's been a great friend of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK for years. Um, it's uh, always great to have him on because, uh, it, number one, it's fun. We laugh. Uh, and beyond that, uh, we get, you can make some money, uh, which is uh, yeah. 
not a bad uh, secondary reason uh, to listen to this segment. Uh, so, Joel, uh, the Bills, uh, underdogs, because of the site, you know, they're going out to Glendale, Arizona on Sunday, 4, uh, 4 p.m. game. Uh, they opened at two-and-a-half-point underdogs. It's been bad. looks like the money's coming in on the Bills, down to a point-and-a-half in some places. Um, yep. And the total started at 49-and-a-half, which looked low to me. But I think it's been overcorrected. You can get it at fifty-six and a half in some places. Uh, I guess just what's your your general overview on on those numbers? Bills plus one yeah, and a half and fifty-six ish points for the total. I think the the number came out a little high at, at two and a half. It, it, it one and a half seems pretty fair. And you could have even made it like a pick and then just put some juice on Arizona just because they're the home team. Um, it's a, it's a, it could be a, it's a toss up. Like you could, you can look at trends and, and look at, uh, any type of site that gives you any insight into betting trends, as well as, uh, any type of, of, um, broad, uh, forecasting site. And you can look at one and it's going to say, take the bills. You could look at another, it's going to say, take Arizona. And that's, uh, goes back to what you were saying earlier about superstition, and, and then how it feels against uh, betting numbers. So when I, when I see a game coming up, you know, one game at a time, uh, when I see a game coming up, I, I think of what I think the, the spread should be. And, you know, then the number comes out, and then I'll look at all the different uh, numbers that go along with it. And if my initial superstition is the same as the, what the numbers tell me, then um, that's, a, that's a good sign. If my initial thought is uh, overreacting to the Bills' win, overreacting to a Bills' loss, whatever it is, uh, is different from, from the number, then I have to think, do I want to think you know, with my heart or with my head? And we've talked about that, where I've picked the Bills over the Titans when everything else that I looked at told me to take the Titans. Uh, but I thought, you know, well, the Bills are coming off of, of playing. The Titans haven't been in their, in their um, practice facility for a week or two. You know, all these other things that I was thinking could affect it. But when you look at, you know, numbers, numbers don't lie. So you take what the numbers tell you and, and you go with it. Um, but again, with this particular game, you can really go any way with this game and, and feel confident in it. Um, I think... That's um, another word I'm for saying stay away from it, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> Stay away from it is what, what I would say. Um, I will not personally be betting this game, but for the sake of the show, I'm saying take Arizona minus one and a half. Okay. A rare, a, a rare, well, of course, it's this year, rare. I think this is a first. Is this you taking the other side for the first time? I, I think so, yeah. Taking the so. Bills not and to, saying the Bills will not cover. Bills will not win and will not cover. And you at least had although one or the, the number, other. you've always had, even if you were taking the other team to win, you've always thought the bills were going to cover this year. Right. Yeah. Um, the uh, total, although has shot up, you can still get 55 and a half. I'm taking over 55 and a half and uh, Oh wait. Yeah. 55 and a half still uh, take 55 and a half and go over because both teams should be, you know, scoring close to 30 points if not over 30 points. 
Where do you get uncomfortable if this uh, total keeps rising? Um, or where do you want to start thinking points. about taking the under? Two or three more points, I think, is, is it won't go that much. But if it, if it hits like 58, I'd go under that. Okay. Um, the, the, the great thing about in-running betting, which a lot of the apps on your phone for sports betting now do, is, uh, you know, if, a, if someone scores quick, it's going to jump up. Someone scores, takes a while to score or a field goal instead of a touchdown, then it's going to go down. So a lot of times with in-running betting, you want to bet what isn't happening. Uh, the bills are down 10 to nothing. Now they're all, all of a sudden they're up 12 and a half point in running underdog. You play that out of the side, you know, a kick return for a touchdown total shoots up to 60 bet the under, you know, so you have the ability to, to get off of some of your bets, uh, bet the other side, try for a middle, you know, you bet over the, uh, I was going to text you during the Seahawks game. There was a point where the total in running was at 75 and a half. Which is just crazy. That's what I look for in those times. You know, Matthew Fairburn and I have we talked about it uh, with you. I know you always told me about uh, in a couple of years ago before it was much easier for uh, for the regular person to bet in game, uh, and we can't do it in New York yet. But at least. Uh, when Matt and I were traveling and we'd have these in-game, that's what I love. That's what I look forward to is those real weird, these anomalies, which to me is strange, Joel. There shouldn't be something like that when an out, it's not a human handling these. How do those happen? Yeah, that's... Uh... I mean, we, maybe we don't want to... I mean, look, the Tim, Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK is not going to get the industry to all of a sudden snap to and say, we got to fix this. But... So I don't think we need to worry about uh, letting out a secret. But what uh, we were talking a little things about, um, we got into it a little deeper, and it's obviously a different. Uh, it's not apples and oranges, but like with the presidential election, uh, just these wild, these wild numbers that just come out that you know can't be possibly right, and you maybe only have twenty seconds to jump in there and get it, but they're there, right. Yeah, so back to what I was just saying, that 75 and a half, that was in like the third quarter. And the game ended up going over that. It hit, what did it land on, 78? So at some point, I'm sure it was even higher than that. I just remember seeing it and being like, that's just crazy. So if you were to bet the game over, whatever the total was, we'll just say 55 for the sake of argument. You bet over 55. Then if you bet under 75 and a half, you have a 20 and a half point middle where if it lands anywhere in there, you win everything. And it's, it's crazy. Uh, In-running in betting is a much smaller segment of betting. And I, that's what I used to manage was all of that. And I worked with a guy when I first started doing that. It was a, a New Orleans Saints Monday night football game. I don't remember who they were playing, but they were just destroying them, just absolutely destroying them. And he keeps putting up these numbers that are just so crazy Saints minus 24 and a half Saints minus 30 and a half Saints 35 and a half. And everyone just keeps betting the Saints. Everyone keeps betting the Saints. And I'm just like, dude, you got to stop taking bets. Like just turn the game off. It's out of control. Turn the game off. And he's like, I can't, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. And then puts up a number that was like 38 minus 38 and a half, something crazy. And then everyone comes in on the other side and sure enough, the other team scores like a garbage time touchdown and it lands on like 33. So the dude loses every bet he put up. The, the betters won everything. The next day he got fired. And I was just like, this is real. Like, you can't mess around. Like, 
you mess around like that much and you just, you know, just, they just fire you. Like there's just no, you know, there's no like training. Like you're suspended for a day. Here's some training pamphlets to go over. Like, no, you're just gone. And that was like a real like wake up call. Like you can't mess around. Like you can't even stop paying attention for a minute and look at your phone or text somebody. Like you have to be so locked into what's going on that you can't put up a number that's even a half a point off or you're just going to get hammered on it. And then you got to, you got to answer to somebody, you know, the owner of the company comes in and it's like, what happened? And you better have a really good answer or else you're gone. Okay. Well then make, can, let's stay on this for a second, Joel, cause this is interesting to me. And, and how much then, how much human impact is there or influence is there on these numbers? Like, like, as you're saying, how, how, um, how normal is that, that a human human actually is pulling the trigger on something and not just letting a, a, a mainframe computer handle it? Yeah. So we have a computer and it, it, when I ran it, you had a computer, you put the ball where the ball is, you put the clock where the clock is, you put the score and it'll tell you roughly what the number should be. And then you'll also have up another screen. I mean, at the time I had like four or five screens just all in front of me. And you have all the other online betting, offshore betting, and you just, you want to be ballpark with them. And so you take what the computer's telling you what the line should be. You look at what their numbers are. And some of those are um, decimal betting, not American betting. So you got, you got to figure this out on the fly. What does 1.4 mean? Okay. That means minus 750 or what is, you know, you got to figure these out Real, You don't have any time to sit there and get your, your calculator out and start trying to figure these things out. And then you also have to figure out what the book as a whole wants pregame. So if everyone bets, we'll, we'll say Arizona against Buffalo. If everyone's betting Arizona pregame, you want to put a little bit of extra juice on Arizona, trying to get some Buffalo money to try to even out you know, maybe the in running takes a bit of a loss, but the book itself takes a big win or vice versa. You're trying to, you know, you got to look at what the book as a whole wants, what you want as a person, because you're still responsible for the numbers that you put out there. You have a boss or somebody behind you saying, don't take any more Arizona bets. Don't take any more Arizona bets. So you're trying to put it at everybody else has it at, you know, in running Arizona line is six and a half. You put up seven and a half and someone still wants to bet it. You take the bet because they're laying the worst number. And then, but you still have to explain yourself that next day or after the game when the boss comes in and says, how come you took more Arizona bets when I told you not to? And I'm like, I'm la- they're, they're laying a point worse than everybody else. What do you want me to do? You know, and that's, that's the business of it. It's, it's, you literally have all these things going on at once. You have a bet coming in, someone trying to lay, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in running when our limits were like 10,000 a pop, but it's a big player. So you got to take it. And you have your boss telling you why you're taking that bet. And you're like, you told me to take his bets no matter what. And it's just, it's, it's just a crazy, you know, it's like, you know, how you picture when you see in movies, like the, uh, the trading floor of, of uh, the stock market, just people screaming and pointing and everything's coming in at once. That's what you have. And you still got somebody to report to, and you're still, trying to hold yourself accountable to make sure that you're putting up the right numbers. So How enjoyable it's, it's, it's was crazy. that? Did you find that enjoyable? It was awesome because minus getting, you know, screamed at nonstop, you're still getting that rush of betting, but it's not your money. So I'm taking a bet from somebody and I'm just like, Oh, you son of a bitch. 
I don't want you to win this money, even though it's not my money, it's the casino's money, it's the book's money. So you still get that rush of that betting, you know, huge, huge increments, but it's not, you don't get affected. And you're rooting for yourself. It's kind of like, you know, like in journalism, like you're in the press box, you know, I've written a story or uh, I have a prediction in this game. I don't have any money in it or I don't have any commitment, but uh, I'm supposed to be neutral, but I like that guy. I like that guy because I see him in the locker room every day and I want him to do well. Uh, Or that guy's a a dick, you know, so, you know, eh, whatever. But you do have your little, you sure you have your players in there that you want to root for, but yet it's your company, your company's reputation's on the line, your company's, and you are part of the reason that company has set that line. Or, you know, so you you don't, you know, let's not get burned here. Let's, uh, I don't want to embarrass myself or my company. Uh, even and though it uh, isn't, you know, win or lose, I'm still going to have a job tomorrow, unless you're the guy in the Saints Monday yeah. night game you were talking about. Um, but it's crazy because when you're at the counter taking the bets, you know, like what players are good tippers and are nice guys. And you're like, I want this guy to win because I want to get a tip based upon right. his right. wins. But when you're setting the lines, you're like, I don't want to lose to that guy because I want the book to win. I'm not getting a tip out of it, but. I just want to, I don't want to tell my boss that we lost, you know, $3 million in one game, just in running. But as a ticket writer, if you're, when you're punching the tickets, like you just, Hey man, I hope you win, you know, type of stuff, because you know, they're going to come back and, and tip you. I mean, I've, I've got people tip me like $5,000 and you're just like, you're insane. Thanks. I appreciate it. You just gave me a $5,000 chip. Now I got to go to the cage and cash this in. And everyone's like, why do you have a $5,000 chip? And they have to go back and watch the footage and what, who gave me this $5,000 chip and why did he give it? And that, you know, it's crazy. What's the biggest tip you ever got? And what was the story behind $5,000 chip um, from one of the Fertitas. I can't remember which one. Uh, Bet Floyd Mayweather for an absurd amount of money. Uh, and cashed out, took it all in chips, which is what you do. So you don't have to worry about the tax man wondering why you got all this cash because chips or a check from the casino is not taxable. Cash, getting all that cash gets reported to the IRS. Why isn't a um, check? He, because a check is, is not a cash. It's cash over $10,000. Oh, I see. Just okay. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. So, I mean, the chips, you, you always try to figure out. Then you can take the chips and slowly diffuse them back into the, you know, but a check is still very easily traceable or trackable. I didn't know that. Okay. So he cashes out just, you know, chips upon chips. I don't remember what the bet was, $250,000, maybe even more, something like that. An absurd amount of money. And he has all of his chips, just, just a, you know, rack full of them, turns and walks away. And I'm just like, man, he comes back, turns around and like, Hey kid, you know, and just flips me a chip. And I'm just like back there, like Roscoe Parrish, trying not to fumble this punt and boom, <laughs> it's like a five dime chip. And you got to try to play it cool. Like, thanks man. But inside you're just like, holy shit, this is amazing. You know? So <laughs> it's great. It's, it's, it's a, that, that's another rush right there. You know, cashing out somebody or betting. A, you got a lot of people that buy you what they call toke tickets. So they bet on a game and then they bet a second time and then they give you the ticket, you know, a hundred dollar ticket, something like that. And, and oh, just, yeah. you're rooting for this guy to win. So yeah, we've gotten, you know, in the book, you get 
crazy things, you know. And, and there's a lot of energy there, right? You know, you get, it's hard oh, not yeah. to get, it's intoxicating to be around that energy. For sure. Um, all right, so to recap, uh, Joel Staniszewski says to take Arizona and give the point and a half. It's the first all year that he's taking the Bills either not to win outright or to cover. Uh, and uh, the over, which is at 55 and a half now, starts to get around 58. Um, start considering the under on that. Um, any other bonus bets you want to throw at us this week, Joel? Yeah. While you're on take, a, uh, on a take- ripper. The Cleveland Browns, minus three. They are fighting against uh, the Houston Texans, minus three. Uh, Take the Green Bay – I got a couple this time. Take the Green Bay Packers, minus 13, hosting Jacksonville. That's a huge number. I don't like playing double digits, but Green Bay should win by three touchdowns in this game. Okay. And if you're feeling, if, and when you, if and when you start cashing out a little bit of money, you want to make a little bit of extra. Monday night, Chicago plus three. All right. You are feeling it. That's a lot of games this week. There's a lot of games I like this week. What is it about, uh, what is it about Browns Titans? What do you see there? Uh, I'm sorry, not not, Browns. uh, uh, The Browns game. I'm sorry. I don't know why I said Titans, but what is it about uh, the Browns game? Uh, Just looking at uh, looking at the the games, uh, looking at the 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 spread, looking at what it should be. um, I I think the Browns should be a higher a higher pick. They should be closer to like five and a half. And when you're on a key number like three or thirteen with Green Bay, Green Bay should be almost three touchdown favorite. They should be a twenty point favorite. Uh, against Jacksonville. So when you're seeing, when, when I come up with my, with my numbers, um, when I see it off more than like two and a half points, that's, that's the thing to take. So Cleveland is off by, in my opinion, two and a half points. Green Bay is off by six points. And Chicago as a two and a half point favorite or three, po- three point dog, I think they should be uh, a small favorite in that game. So that, those are the, the three games that I think are far out of whack to what they should be. And maybe I'm getting a little too esoteric here when I mention this, but the thing about uh, the Browns and the Texans, which is why I, I brought up to see if you were going to mention it, some weird things going on behind the scenes with uh, the front office this week. And I know that the average fan, even the hardcore fan, doesn't pay attention to stuff like this, but the Texans firing their uh, beloved vice president of communications this week, Amy Palsik, and players have been coming out just ripping ownership, ripping the front office. J.J. Watt uh, is very unusual for him, not being, not ripping per se, uh, like some of his teammates are, but being very critical about the, 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 the decision to fire uh, Amy Palsik. It seems like just the players there are, have had it, and they're just tired of being Houston Texans. And so, you know, that, uh, if you have a team that's, that doesn't care anymore, um, and Joel Staniszewski's numbers tell you devoid of any of that other stuff that the Browns are the play. It seems you know, maybe the, maybe the, maybe uh, Houston's about ready to get its teeth kicked in this week. Who knows? Maybe that's me. I didn't even know about that, but now I like it even more. Yeah, I'll go. Uh, 
let's just see. I'll, we'll monitor that one. So we're going to monitor Ed Oliver. We're going to yep. monitor Joe Flacco. I'm yep. just as a hunt. I'm saying I don't think Joe Flacco is till next week. And I don't, by that time, by that by next next week, uh, Darnold might be back. So who knows? Oh, that's true. Because yeah, they're on a bye this week. Um, yeah. Well, as we'll see if anything happens with Joe Flacco in his personal life, maybe. Let's keep an eye on Joe <laughs> Flacco. Good may happen. To. If you can bet on Joe Flacco's personal life this week, uh, who knows? Uh, maybe he gets added to the Biden cabinet. You know, whatever. <laughs> see if you can bet on it. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't win yet. Don't worry. Don't worry. They're counting votes still in Nevada. So yeah, people tell me. There. Alaska finally got him to decide what it was. Yeah. Who knows? They don't. They don't. I think Nevada didn't want to call it. They just wanted to see if they needed to call it. They're just kind of like waiting. But uh, yeah, I think this they're is done. a state that on that on Super Bowl Sunday at eleven o'clock local time p.m. can tell you to the penny how much was bet on the Super Bowl and all the prop bets yeah. and the handle, but they can't tell you how many votes were cast for uh, President of the United they need States. A, they need, yeah. They need to get some of those some of those cashiers that can fire through stacks of ten grand in no time at all to be out there counting counting them. That that would be a lot faster. Maybe your former coworker uh, with that Saints Monday Night Games uh, handle is working at the Board of Elections. <laughs> Last I heard, he was at uh, Jerry's Nugget in North Las Vegas. You're kidding me. So we'll see. Is that, no, is that true? Kidding. Yeah. Okay, so that's great. All right, so so people know like I. No, to, Jerry's Nugget is like the quintessential slum casino. And uh, so when you said that, I thought you were just saying it as the, as the cliche joke, but that would be like. <laughs> no, no joke. He's at Jerry. <laughs> that, was, that was the last time I, I, I heard his name. I, I couldn't even tell you what his name is off the top of my head right now. It was so long ago. This was probably uh, 2011. So. Yeah, so it's been <laughs> close to a decade, but he could still be hanging out in Jerry's Nugget. Who knows? Oh, boy. I do miss Vegas, man. Even Jerry's Nugget. Well, there, it had its charms. <laughs> hey, it, Joel, it Tennis, thanks Great. again. Hope you stay on your, uh, on your hot streak, man. Thanks for coming well, on. Well, I kind of want to lose this. I want to lose the Bills game. I, wanna, I, want the Buff, I want the Bills to win, but I just don't. I think the numbers are telling me to take Arizona. So I hope I lose at least that one, but. Your early season misstep on not following the numbers. I, I, feel more, I feel more confident in you, Joel, when you go by the numbers and not your, your fandom. Me too. Me too. Right, Thanks. Thanks for sticking with us here on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. A pretty deep conversation with uh, Gerald Dixon and then, of course, uh, Joel Staniszewski uh, with his picks. Uh, Always nice of those guys to join us on the show every week. Um, Before we uh, take off, uh, there's some uh, interesting odds and ends here, uh, Jonah, uh, in uh, Western New York uh, amateur sports. Uh, Some basketball notes. Um, But I'll just leave it up to you. uh, Well, there's a lot going on. It's kind of coming at us fast. And every time we record a podcast, I feel like things break. Even while we're here recording, we were talking about winter sports the other day, what might happen. And that got announced while we were recording that podcast on Monday afternoon, but the latest, so we're here three o'clock on Friday. What do we got? The Ivy league has canceled their entire basketball season. If you remember the Ivy league was 
ahead of the curve with canceling their season and not going to the NCAA tournament last spring and also postponing football to the spring, which not every college football league followed suit, but the Ivy League was the first one to make that call. So they've been precedent setters. As far as the local connection, Greg Dolan, a former Allen Wilson player of the year for Williamsville South a couple of years back, plays at Cornell. This would have been his sophomore year, so he doesn't get a season. And like with the Suniac canceling a couple of weeks ago, not all the Division Three leagues have canceled, but the local Suniac and some others have. This is the whole season wiped out. It isn't saying we can't start now, we're postponing, we're going to wait and see. Uh, it's saying we're not playing any games. No games in February, no playoffs in March. This is it. So it's unfortunate for the athletes involved. And the rest of basketball is more in a wait and see on what's going to happen. College basketball is supposed to start November 25th. Some schedules are out. Other schedules are still being worked on and haven't been released yet, but teams can start playing games. UB is supposed to play three games at the Mohegan Sun and something they're calling Bubbleville a few days after Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving weekend. Now one of those games has been canceled with Iona has an outbreak or, or, you know, confirmed cases and contact tracing. They're not going to be able to play their first four games. So not sure if UB gets a different appoint, opponent at that Bubbleville event or doesn't get that game. Uh, Canisius is one of, I think it's 15 or so programs that are currently paused. Uh, Reggie Witherspoon uh, announces last night that he had tested positive for COVID during their surveillance testing back in October. So he was asymptomatic, but expressed that everybody needs to take this seriously. He had been following the protocols and still caught it. Uh, there's a, now there's a debate over whether how bad the situation has gotten with college athletics, college basketball, and what that means going forward. Jeff Goodman writes today that he did an informal poll. 30% of the coaches or the teams that he talked to coaches for have been paused at some point in the last few months. Seems like it's going in the wrong direction there. He suggested canceling non-conference games and starting the season later in December with just league schedules to get to the NCAA tournament. On the other hand, you have somebody like John Rothstein who's putting out kind of Clay Travis-like statistics about, well, if there's only 15 teams on pause and only the Ivy League is canceled, then 94% of college basketball is in good shape right now. So it's unclear what's going to happen. High school-wise, there hasn't been real official announcements other than that basketball and high-risk sports, hockey and wrestling won't start practicing on November 30th when other lesser-risk sports will be able to practice for the winter. But, uh, you know, you're looking at Section 2, the capital region near Albany has announced that they won't start even those lower-risk sports till mid-December, and it's looking like more of a January start for basketball if we can even do that. So there's a lot of uncertainties, but it does look like getting to the night before Thanksgiving – some Division One basketball is going to start being played. There was a high school game on ESPN last night, so basketball is being played around the country. But if you look at the trends and the case numbers, it does look like in New York State and with our local teams, uh, a lot of reason to believe maybe there won't be a season starting on time and that maybe a lot of games that are scheduled will be canceled. With Rick Pitino as head coach, though, shouldn't we have expected some sort of viral outbreak at Iona? Well, I don't I'm not going to touch that, but I will say, and this is, and by the way, Matt, go ahead and let Huddy, let Huddy get in on this. Sorry. You don't have to mute Huddy. He was in the, he was in the other room somewhere. He's, he stopped barking though. It's fine. He had some good ambiance. He's allowed to have a voice in this discussion. I think Iona is an interesting program to look at because of where they are. They're in New Rochelle, which 
remember, New Rochelle was one of the areas where the very first outbreak in New York City started and stemmed from some gatherings that had there in New York. And I think it's indicative of what we're seeing now is that there's been this continuum since March of where places get hit and then they don't really have the virus anymore and it goes elsewhere and it feels like we're past it in New York, New York City, New York State, Buffalo. And you're seeing it come back in areas like New Rochelle, New York City, Buffalo, where we first got hit in March and April and there's a second wave, if you will. So I think that there's a little bit emblematic, almost like if Rudy Gobert got coronavirus again, that would be, you know, the case study for reinfection. I think you're seeing areas get reinfected, which is a little bit disturbing. Well, that is a lot going on. Um, any, uh, you mentioned uh, Canisius there. Uh, any, any other updates with the, the big four basketball programs, Jonah? St. Bonaventure announced that there were no fans at the games this year, which I think we kind of already knew, but that was maybe a new announcement. Niagara was on pause as of, you know, last week. I think they're back this week. I haven't heard real specifics on UB. The teams are getting ready to play. And then you got all the, the women's teams as well. And there's a lot of teams between men's and women's basketball, Division I, Division II and three, and the junior colleges have pushed back their schedules to start maybe more in January. But there's a lot of basketball teams at all sorts of levels thinking, you know, now's the time to get started with the season and uncertainty whether how many of them will be able to play, who will be able to play, how many cancellations. It's a much different situation than football being an outdoor sport with maybe more ability to wear a mask or a face covering while you're playing football that you can't do when you're playing basketball. But there's been a lot of basketball going on at the AAU level all summer long. Not, not really locally. There was one tournament I went to, but a lot of AAU teams going to Pennsylvania and Ohio when they could to play in tournaments. That never really stopped. There's, you know, somebody asked me, uh, jokingly, we were talking about the Raptors, where they're going to play. And the joke was they're going to play at Park School because Park School has been having AAU basketball events and uh, kind of clandestine practices and even college basketball. Brian and Stratton Buffalo as a team. They normally play at ECC. They can't play there right now. They're playing their games at Park. Buffalo, so maybe by the way, when everybody we, else can't play. We do talk about it every week here on the show, it seems. Uh, by the way, Buffalo, now the betting favorite. Uh, to host the Toronto Raptors. So we talk about it all the time. Like we really? know here that it's not going to, it's probably not going to happen, but the money keeps coming in on Buffalo. Bodog has. Uh, Can has you Buffalo get a reverse odds bet against Buffalo? I'm sorry. We can't get odds on it not being Buffalo, can we? I wish you could. Yeah, I'd bet. I'd yeah, just I'd bet, bet everything on everything. that. I don't think you can do, I don't think you can short Buffalo like you could on the, on the stock market. Speaking of bets. I have a bad, uh, bad betting story. Um, then why are you going to tell it? Be because it's well, it a actually, bad story or was it a bad bet? It turns out to be an okay situation. Tim, when we were at uh, the sports book doing that story in week two, I think it was when the Bills played the Dolphins. Um, you'll remember I put some Masters bets in. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I can't find the ticket anywhere. <laughs> oh dear. Good thing is that Brendan Todd did not have a good first day, but if you see Brendan Todd or Scotty Scheffler near the top of the leaderboard, uh, I might need some consoling. Did you check your bag? I mean, your computer bag you, that just had your, that had your uh, Eric Gagne card in it. I've checked everywhere. I, oh, I found, 
I found the uh, betting slip that had that Seahawks Patriots game on it because I also brought that home because we left before the game was over. And I have a feeling I threw the other one out and saved that one because the spot that I was like, oh, I'm going to keep it right here. I won't, I won't forget it. Okay. And, oh, I know who to root against. Well, one of the guys I bet on didn't even qualify, so I was okay. I've made some great picks. Yeah, that's that's as bad. That's that's terrible. It's like a six hundred and fifty dollar win if Brendan Todd wins. So three hundred something if Scotty Scheffler wins. Both not good. Now I'm rooting yeah, against those guys. Superstitious about it. Do I root against them or do I root for them and hope I find the ticket? It might be around somewhere. I don't know. You root. I guess you root for them because there is a chance you can find the ticket. If you root against them, then there's then there's no way you get your money. But it would be torturous if they won. And all weekend I'm like tearing apart the house looking for the ticket, and I never find it. I just hope they lose. It'll make me feel better. Wonder if Joel's superstitious about his bets. He seems to be about the Bills. He is. He wears his his right shirt, his jersey. You know, he's yeah. He's he's mentioned a few of those on the show. I should have asked him. I forgot to ask him. Hey, can I throw one more basketball note in? If anybody's listening here, in probably hour three of the podcast. But um, Roddy Gale, four star prospect, you know, top fifty, top sixty player in the class of twenty two from Niagara Falls. He's going to make his college commitment announcement tonight he says around 6 30 is down to a top six i'm told it's probably going to be ohio state uh, you know syracuse is another school in that top six marquette uconn georgetown and pitt are the others but probably ohio state or syracuse and from what i've heard ohio state he's maybe the best player in a long time other players have gone to certain schools Devontae Gaines, tennessee jordan war ended up at louisville after a prep year but this is the first time in a while, maybe since Will Regan went to Virginia, that I remember a player in high school that it was a big deal where they committed uh, so early. He's, he's only at the beginning of his junior year. And another player that signed this week, senior Amari DeBerry to UConn, she's been committed for a while. That was kind of an equally big deal when she committed to UConn a year ago. But she signed that letter. She's going to UConn next year. Williamsville South player. She was the player of the year. Sister Maria Paris, player of the year this year passed. So, Kind of, you know, milestones, I think, for local basketball and local high school players in recruiting. This doesn't happen a lot, and these are two pretty big time-level players making their decisions here. Any chance Gail could have gone to UB? Well, I think UB was the first school that offered him when Nate Oates and Brian Hodgson were still here. And I yeah, but that doesn't matter. I mean, was he was he Alabama? Contemplated? Well, look, yeah, he would have had to be – a slightly worse prospect maybe than he is now. So I guess are you say it any chance top 50, top 60 player, Roddy Gale goes to UB. But sometimes uh, a UB will get a player because he's from there and he just yeah, wants Jonathan, Jonathan Williams from Rochester was rated in the top 100, maybe a little lower than where Gale is, but similarly rated. I think he was a three-star. They were able to get players on that level in the past. Local players, it doesn't always seem like the best local players stay local. There's local players that stay local. There's good local players that go to bigger schools. You don't always see that intersect with the best players staying local. And, you know, maybe why would you? Why wouldn't you go to Ohio State or Syracuse in these bigger leagues? That's a better way to go to the NBA. Um, you know, Johnny Clint and Paul Harris from Niagara Falls 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they didn't really consider the local schools. They went to Syracuse. I would have been a little bit surprised if Roddy Gale 
had chosen UB, but I also think he's close to the kind of player that UB could recruit. Maybe if, maybe if Roddy Gale was from Rochester or Syracuse, it might have been, you know, a different dynamic, and he would have considered a school like UB. All right. Well, thanks for all that, Jonah. That's a lot of, lot of stuff going on with, uh, with local hoops, and it's why we, we love having you on here to get us uh, all that info because uh, you, don't, you don't see it or hear it nearly enough uh, around Western New York, uh, all these updates and just – we talk about it all the time on the show, just how much really good basketball there is at all levels here, uh, and we didn't even get into, you know, the – the Damons and the NCCCs and all these guys uh, that we, we also need to circle back on future episodes and get caught up with, with those guys, with Nate Butel. And, we did, we did uh, talk about and Brian and Shred. What's that? I, I we missed... did get around to talking about Brian and Shred in their opening weekend. You're right. Brian well, and we'll... and Buffalo playing at the Park School. They were. We'll, we'll get them on next week. We'll see how far they can kick a piece of fruit. Simone Brown, or NBA player, is their coach. Yeah. Guys, let's wrap it up. I'm getting superstitious about uh, how long we've been going here. Uh, maybe uh, next time we come to you, it will be from a field, uh, and uh, we'll have some ice packs ready to go in case Matt Fairburn uh, breaks a toe. And uh, maybe we'll even have uh, some, some help, some professional help uh, with the kicking. Hey, oh, one last time, because I can never thank him enough. CTBK, a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions. CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. CTBK, again, is at 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Boys, see you soon. Thanks for listening. For Matthew Fairburn, for Jonah Bronstein, I'm Tim Graham. Thank you for listening to Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK.